You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Inside Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host and creator of Mountain Bike Radio, Ben Welnack. This is a special episode because I had the opportunity to go on location to check out the new successful urban single track project in Colorado Springs and interview several people involved with the project. If you're listening to this episode on the MBR app, be sure to look at the show notes as you listen, because what I've done is created a timeline of guests, so you'll see the breakout in our minutes um, in exactly what guests is at what time, so that you can easily skip through, reverse, navigate through the eight different episodes that I did. You can also head over to mountainbikeradio.com slash urban single track project to listen to each interview separately. So what you do is go over to that show page and just scroll down. And what I've done is broken out each interview, um, made some notes about that, and you'll see all the different links. So you can uh, listen to each little snippet. There's a player right under there. You can also download from that. So who did I get a chance to interview? Well, first of all, interviewed John Severson. He's the guy behind the Urban Single Track Project, spearheaded it, got everyone together, kind of did. Uh, he, he's the guy. He's the reason it's happening. Um, and also interviewed Fixie Dave. He's Fixie Dave. You've probably heard his name around, probably seen him. Uh, Trevor Deerdorf. He's the owner of Amnet, which is an IT consulting firm in Colorado Springs. Jonathan Shankland. He's the GM of the famous Steakhouse Restaurant. David Dietemeyer, who is the park planner at Colorado Springs City Parks. Susan Edmondson, who is president of the Downtown Partnership. I uh, also interviewed Hurl from Cars or Coffins and Gail, Galen O'Moore. They are uh, out on the what they call the heavy pedal tour for Bike Mag. I've uh, been doing a bunch of races. Some of the toughest ones around, the Butte 100, the Matahe 100, Breck Epic. So... They were in Colorado Springs checking it out that night, so got them on. Cameron Chambers, uh, I don't know if he needs much of an introduction. If you're a mountain biker, five-time national champion, done all kinds of different, uh, won all kinds of different races, really fast guy, really nice guy, uh, really easy to talk to. Uh, he is a Colorado Springs local. He also got on. He's with Cameron, Hurl, Galen, and I kind of had sat down and did a, a roundtable interview. And last but not least, Kelly Bubach, who is the owner of Urban Steam Coffee. Um, Want to send a special thank you to Kelly because he is the reason that uh, we were able to do this. Uh, the Urban Single Track Project usually does kind of a chill ride on Monday nights. And every once in a while, uh, Urban Steam stays open late and uh, hosts it. So Kelly, thank you very much for that. So again, if you like to listen to each one of these interviews just on its own and you don't want to have to kind of navigate through the whole combination that I've put together, um, you can head over to mountainbikeradio.com slash urban single track project and kind of just scroll through that page. You can download or hit the, one of the little streaming players right there. You will also, again, a reminder, you'll also find a description and links on that page as well. So head over to mountainbikeradio.com. Also, head over to mountainbikeradio.com, the main uh, page, because what you can do is partway down, you'll see listen to recent episodes, and there is a full list of content right there. 
all kinds of shows from just riding along to apex nutrition to all kinds of different stuff. So if you're looking for something to do while you're sitting there at work or driving in your car, uh, plenty of things to listen to. And one last thing, if you do like what you hear in this episode and all the others on mountain bike radio, I would encourage you to please consider supporting the show. How do you do that? You go over to mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR. That's mountainbikeradio.com slash support MBR. And right there will give you a list of things you can do that will help the show tremendously. And I really appreciate that, as do our other hosts and partners. Hopefully you do that. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email me at ben at mountainbikeradio.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and with me is John Severson. John, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. So this is something a little bit different, and you'll hear me explain it in each one of the uh, recordings uh, but this is part of a night for Urban Single Track, which is in uh, Colorado Springs. But anyhow, so what I did is I recorded with a bunch of different people, and I've put that into, if you're listening on the app, you're obviously listening to the one big episode. But if you go to the show page on Mountain Bike Radio, I've broken it out, so there's details about each person uh, that I talked with, and you can listen individually to each one of those uh, recordings. I uh, did it with several different people from people that just ride the course, uh, like uh, Cameron Chambers, uh, Hurl from Cars and uh, Coffins, um, and several other uh, business people uh, that support the project. So I uh, wanted to start it off with John. John is has a ton of things going, very involved in the Colorado Springs um, community, not only cycling, but a lot of different other a lot of different projects, um, and this one is very unique. It's hit the ground running, and uh, it's, it's. I wanted to get him on and talk about kind of the history, how he got going, some of the details, um, and what people can expect. So, John, let's let's go back to the history. So let's talk about, uh, you, you know, you're in Colorado Springs riding on the bike path or whatever. Where did you get this idea for this urban single track? Well, it all started about six, seven years ago when we had literally about 200 homeless like tents scattered along this, this corridor of the trail in a very short section. In fact, that actually made a lot of national news and so forth and got to be a point where you wouldn't even ride on the bike path because these guys were so confrontational and so forth. Um, eventually, they quickly kind of passed an ordinance that couldn't camp down there, and I started riding down there again. You know, and as somebody who started riding back in 1989, back when there really weren't such things as mountain bike trails, or just see where that path went. That's kind of what I started doing is to break up my morning ride I was doing. I was like, oh, which way does this go? And start realizing there's quite a bit of land back in some of these different little sections and then started exploring some of these other sections with people like Cameron Chambers and other local friends that were Midwest expats living out here in Colorado. Um, really nobody in Colorado got why we wanted to do this. Um, talked to the normal cycling advocates and trail groups and while fantastic, they're like, why would you want to build trails on it? There's not enough land. Okay. But, um, you know, I grew up in Minnesota and went to college in Iowa. 
And, you know, this little area reminded me a lot of Decorah, Iowa, where they have a trail called the River Trail, which goes along a, a river. And um, they squeeze in a ton of trail in just a tiny little section. And it's fun trail. And, you know, that's really kind of the story of the Midwest. You don't, you don't get 10,000 acres to go build 10 miles on and swoop the la-di-da. Um, you take what you can get. So, um, to me, it's just a great time to, you know, start looking at it. There's a lot of space. There's a lot of unused land that could be reclaimed and used for uh, just some basic fun little single track. You know, you can't always go and do it through a 3,000-foot climb. And, you know, a lot of our stuff is pretty, pretty intense and, you know, some of the best mountain biking in the country, but it's, it's intermediate to advanced riding kind of stuff. And so there's just some days you want to go out and play in the dirt and that's kind of how it all started for me. Right. Um, and I, I forgot to mention right off the bat that, uh, people can go to urbansingletrack.org and that gives you kind of a breakdown information, how to get involved, uh, Donate. There's a calendar, a blog, so you can go to urbansingletrack.org uh, or go to Facebook and slash urbansingletrack, and you can find details there too. Um, uh, s- s- actually, but- it's uh, the Facebook page is uh, backslash urbansingletrackproject. Oh, is it? And okay, then sorry. our yeah, and our and our website's the urbansingletrackproject.org. Okay, perfect. Um, um, all right, so so yeah, it, it, well. How many years ago was this that yeah, you had we, this, uh, this idea? It's almost seven now. I'd say it's okay. about seven because it was about right when the recession started, and that's what caused this influx of tents to flow in down there. Okay. And people just kind of camp out. And basically, you know, they all left. You know, you get that many tents down there. They left behind these little footpaths, you know, just like deer trails. And, um, you know, they're actually, there's actually a little bit of flow to the ground. They're just kind of twisty and, um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then fast forward about, about a year and a half ago. So how do you even, uh, you know, fast forward a year, you know, to a year and a half ago, where do, where do you even start with that? You know, if somebody else is looking to do that, where, where did you even start? I mean, do you just walk up to somebody and say, Hey, I want to do this. And, uh, I need to talk to somebody at the park department. Where do you, how did you get it going? <laughs> I literally talked to everybody at first. You know, I talked to the old leadership at Parks Department, which really just had, they're like, you want to do what? I don't, I don't know if we have time. Um, I talked to a local developer who uh, owns quite a bit of land. Very, very, very active cyclist is a big reason. A lot of the cycling stuff is in town. Took him out on that. He's even like, well, what do we do next? And, well, it's illegal to just go and build trail. And um, he wasn't sure what to do next. And then I talked to the head of the downtown partnership, who I dealt with on other stuff, and he didn't know. And you know, I'd just ask around from time to time, and really just a game of influx or in crossroads. And, uh, and then about two years ago, I was having um, a lunch meeting with a friend of mine who had taken over as the interim director of the downtown partnership and was involved in my young professionals group that I started. And um, we're talking about a bunch of stuff related to that and other things. And she was just like, so whatever happened to this idea for the banker's lunch loop and I? I always thought it was a neat idea. And I'm like, you know, I've tried. I don't know where to 
go next? And she's like, well, did he talk to Parks? And I said, yes. And she's like, when? I'm like, three years ago. And she was like, well, four months ago, somebody new started. I'll, you know, introduce you. And the new head of Parks, uh, Karen Ballas, is phenomenal. Right away, just thought this was awesome. Right away, put me in touch with a team to work with at Parks Department. And all three guys I deal with are serious mountain bikers. And when I kind of took them down through there, they got it. And um, so began the whole process. So um, in that case, once you're kind of getting good with the Parks Department, and they get it, in my case, then come seeing loans, but parts of the land, because even though Parks was in in charge of the Greenway path, they were not the they did not own the land. So we had to we had to start with the part that Parks did own, and that's where we built the test loop that you rode. And now that's going to serve as the proof of concept that as we go up the Greenway and down the Greenway, that we can go to different landowners, whether it be public like uh, Colorado Springs Utilities or Colorado Department of Transportation, or going back to Parks Board to get approval to keep doing what we're doing on their land to private land that's owned by different companies and so forth and individuals that to be able to show them, like, look, this is what we want to do. Can we just get a modification of the easement? So, you know, the, the easy part really is building the trail. Uh, you know, we had the trail built in less than 20 hours easy. And that was a lot of time to spend walking it over and over so we could make it the best possible test trail. Um, there's a lot of little features we want to feature and make sure we got the most mileage in it. But, um, you know, down the road is really, we can bust out trail really fast. Our, our next hurdle is really just, it's getting these meetings. I have two meetings with the park sport board scheduled this fall. update them on where we're at. And then back again the following month, and then propose sections I want to do next that are owned by the Parks Department, and hopefully build environmental assessments and time to start in before winter. But uh, it all depends on the little section. It's a lot harder than your typical Colorado uh, mountain bike project where you have one or usually. County, the or um, federal forest service, where you just go in. This is what we want to do, and you're done. So, right, and and that was going to be kind of my kind of my next question is, you know, you get these people involved, and listeners, you'll hear in, further in this episode all the people I, I interviewed uh, at the Urban Single Track Chill Ride Night Monday Night at Urban Steam Coffee right in Colorado Springs. Um, was it easy to kind of, once you got these people out there to see what's going on, um, was it kind of easy to sell these people on this once you got them out there? Or was it something that you kind of had to show them like the whole deal, like the whole Monday night kind of thing? Or, or, you know what I mean? Like once they got on the trail with their kid or whatever, then there was like a no brainer. How was that process of convincing people? You know, so getting people actually to come out on the trail and check it out, um, it was really people coming to me or, in some cases, me having a friend, like my friend Trevor, who you inter- interviewed, 
he told me he had a mountain bike. He kept at his office to go and get downtown for lunch so he didn't have to worry about parking and get back to his office quicker. I'm like, you're going to bring that thing down on this trail. And he's like, it's old, piece of junk. I'm like, it doesn't matter. And he's like, I've known him for a number of years because of some of the other things I've done. And he's been very supportive. He's like, all right, let me see what you have going on. Now, any one of these Monday night chill rides that we started doing about six weeks ago just to get, you know, everybody out. So it's a good night for people who are competitive. They're just taking it easy because Monday's usually your easy day if you're competitive to then having a good time to bring beginners out and have like a density of users on the trail. So, and, um, there's nothing going on on Monday nights. You're not in competition with uh, the normal work week or social calendar. Mm-hmm. So pre- pretty much everybody, it was just, uh, you know, Trevor, I, I pushed, um, my the president of the bank I work with on another thing. It was, oh, you bought a mountain bike. You should come check it out. So she did. Um, Jonathan Shanklin from the famous actually reached out to me when I posted on Facebook, who wants a, who wants a tour tomorrow? And he's like, I do, but you even have a bike <laughs> and took him down in there. He loved it. And he came down on a work night and he helped, uh, do some work and then he brought his kids down and they went and did laps. And that was kind of a fun night because that was the same night Katie Compton and her husband showed up and did laps. And they thought it was awesome. These kids were having so much fun. The kids thought it was cool that she's somebody gets paid to ride her bike professional. They didn't know that even was possible. Right. Um, so on goes the list of different people. You know, Cameron Chambers is, you know, from Kansas. He totally gets the whole idea of urban single track and actually helped uh, build the first section with me that we cut over about three hours one night yeah um, and, and, and listeners people to come out of the woodwork and with cameron um just keep listening or go to the show page because i interviewed cameron as well and he talks about being from kansas and what it's like you know how similar the kind of the trail is and he grew up you know whacking through uh poison ivy and all that kind of stuff so um but so he got it right away but listen in later on in yeah. the show so you know so yeah so you know kind of on goes the list is, you know, then after that there was reaching out to other people. So like you got a chance to interview Susan Edmondson, who's from the downtown partnership. Mm-hmm. And, um, she recently took over that job in the last year. And I knew her from her days in an art foundation, one of the bigger ones in town. And, um, she's very out of the box thinking she's smart, intelligent. And when I told her about it. She's like, I love it. When can we tell the world? <laughs> And, and she's, you know, gone through the process of hearing me out on it. And she doesn't even, is a mountain biker, but she's just like, this is an awesome thing for downtown. I've never heard of anybody doing this before. So, you know, sometimes you're, you know, when you do projects like this, it's not always about getting the cycling community, like the initial cycling community kind of looked down on the idea. And had I just stopped there, it would have never gotten this far. But, you know, I found other people who did like it. And then I started working with people in the non-cycling community that wanted to see downtown thrive and something happen with downtown. You know, and in Colorado Springs and in like many cities, you know, you have people come up with these crazy ideas that if we only had a million dollars, five million dollars, we could build something that that person knows nothing about. And they saw once in another city and this thing could be great. 
you know, and you never get, nobody actually really plans these things. It'll just, it's easy to spend other people's money to change things. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're asking for such a large amount. Um, you know, to date, um, uh, Kelly has bought us a round of drinks there at Urban Steam for helping out on one of our cleanup days or doing one of our work days and just like, thanks for doing this. Um, you know, we'll eventually create a nonprofit to take donations because we do have people interested. And it is turning into a lot more work. But to this point, you know, my whole point was to show that, look, this is what we want to do. And we're going to bust our ass and we're going to do it right. And um, if you like it, please support us. And voila, we've really gotten a lot of community support. And the word has really traveled about this project. Um, when I was in Fruta this last year, I had people from four or five different states that I knew. Um, and a couple of people have just overheard those people talking and were like, what is this? And never heard of such and really were quite supportive of the idea. So it's, it's something that I think can catch on. Um, these trails are, at the very least, great for getting beginners out. You know, if you look around at what's options to take a beginner cyclist out on a cheap bike that's just been dust, you know, collecting dust in their garage. You know, you wouldn't dare take them on most of the trails in the front range. Right. Exactly. The and ones that, you could, yeah, the that, ones you could are, are, are boring. They're these 36 inch wide crushed limestone paths or they're stuff that doesn't have any features or they're still got too much climbing or something that you can't legitimately bring out beginners on it. And, you know, we've had kids on bikes down there to um, local pros, to people like Trevor and Jonathan who are dusting off bikes, people like Robin who are just bought new bikes and like, where do I go with this thing? You know, you can't send them to Palmer Park right off the bat. This is not going to work. But down in here, people can run laps and there's enough features in there that it is challenging for beginners. They do have to get used to the flow. They do have to get used to where the bike is underneath them. <clears throat> and creating the trail in that manner then also makes it fun for advanced riders that to go faster on it, they can't ride the same way that you learn to ride in Colorado. You can't just go straight. You really have to learn to handle the bike, just like we did back in the Midwest. Right, exactly. Yeah, these tight, twisty little trails. Like, if you want to go fast, you can't just be able to pedal. You have to really be able to handle the bike in a different way. Yep. And I, I had to relearn. <laughs> exactly. And I, I'm pretty lucky where I live at the moment because it's right next to Chatfield Reservoir, and we have a bunch of similar trails to that. It's the river bottom kind of – there's a bunch of tight, twisty single track in there, so it's it's very similar. But – um, and I will say, so last night, so we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night. Last night we did the, the chill ride. Everyone kind of, there was, I don't know, 40 people, maybe 40, 50 people kind of came in and out during the night, um, through urban steam. And that's least, kind of yeah. Where, yeah. That's kind of where the, the ride started. Um, but I noticed that I looked outside. So I did interview, I was interviewing people all night. Like it, it was like a steady stream of talking for me, but I, I look outside, I took some pictures and there was a a wide range, like you mentioned, of, you know, riders and bikes, anything from like 20 year old, you know, what you would think of as like, 
you know, really cheap kind of just works kind of thing up to, you know, real fancy schmancy kind of thing. Um, so there's a wide range and actually, um, I forgot who it was. Might've been Trevor that has the the 20 year old daughter, but she was out for the first time. Um, and he talks about that in, in our, our discussion, but, um, yeah. So like you said, it's, it's a wide range of people. So anybody, and you do these things every Monday night, right? These chill rides. Yeah. So like last night, what, yeah, last night was kind of the way we did it. It was kind of a special night because you were going down, um, the hub bicycle shop just got a new, um, shipment of demo bikes to work with. And, um, we did our first fancy chill ride night two weeks ago with Swobo out of Fort Collins. And Peter Driscoll came down with a, a van full of mutineer single speed bikes that are just perfect for this kind of riding. Um, and, um, that's kind of what inspired this thing. We, we have a standing Monday night ride to meet in the urban single track or the urban steam parking lot. Okay. Um, but they're not open. Um, past three and um in the last night it's kind of doing these special nights is kind of a test to see how can we get enough of a crowd that between what we're doing and then people realizing that they're open light how can they actually now be open light so when swobo came down we were there till probably seven thirty or so eight and then last night you know <laughs> we had 50 or 60 people yeah, yeah oh what a you know, when we actually finally left, um, it was 945 and there were still 10 people hanging out in there, mm-hmm. you know? So ultimately, you know, we're talking to some other Colorado companies about bringing down some of their demo bikes, talking to other bike shops here in town about doing the same, um, reaching out to a few other places to come on down and help kind of support that kind of a night. So if we can do these things every two or three weeks where it's really, it's, it's to do thing. And then we have the, the regular nights where you just kind of show up. Eventually, urban scene will have enough of a crowd to just stay open. And to me, that's like another big component to this trail system. Like it's, it's really easy to just go and build trails, but if you don't interact with the neighborhoods and the businesses that are involved, it's really kind of pointless. Right. And so- Kelly at, at Urban Steam is a kind of our prototype in that sense. And, that, you know, if in the next month or two we can say that Kelly is now open and stays open until 8 or 9 every Monday when he was closed before, well, that's a really big deal for a business like his. That's, you know, you're upping, you know, what you make in a month by quite a bit, and you're eliminating your um, quote-unquote out-of-stock night where you're not there and your customer wants to be there. Right. So now we're delving into a whole other thing that, there's a lot of other places along this path and near our trail and near where Kelly is that there's other, other businesses can move in and if they can see, he can succeed. And right now he's standing alone and he really could use two or three other little restaurants, bars, ice cream shops, whatever yeah. retail just in that little area to kind of rise up with because you can't, you know, it's kind of like going to the mall. There's a great thing that a friend of mine taught me called the mall series. You want other people around you because you're not going to go to the mall for, you know, Jamba Juice every single time. You're going to go there. Maybe you're going to get Taco Bell. Maybe you're going to go to Express. Maybe you didn't find what you want there. So now you're going to the buckle. Not really a big mall person anymore, but that's kind of the mentality. <laughs> that's the idea is that, you know, if I come into Urban Steam and now there are some days during the week where I go there to go have a quick breakfast or a quick bite for lunch, 
and the parking lot's packed. And I can't park anywhere close. But if there was another place nearby, I'd just go to that. Um, and vice versa for him. Like if there was places that people got used to and then they realized I was packed. Yep. Or they're not really feeling it. You know, you start creating this little mall. You start creating this little community. And there's little spots off of this trail from, you know, where our, our long-term goal is for this first phase. That there's a couple bars and restaurants off of the trail one way, just a block or so off of where we would have trail. Okay. There's a pizza place and a 7-Eleven that are, again, maybe 100 yards up the paved path from one of our trailheads that we would hope to incorporate down the road. Um, you have a Walmart, you have Texas Roadhouse, you have Arby's, you know, so you have all these different little things. And then you have three breweries within probably six blocks of our trailhead as well. So you start really seeing where these different ways this can go and you start teaching people that, look, here's a 7-Eleven to go and get a Gatorade. Here's the come and go, or go out on a Friday night, go have a steak at Texas Roadhouse, get on the path, go get um, you know dessert over at Urban Steam, roll your bike up and get a drink over at Benny's and go home. Yeah. So and they're all in a really tight within a mile of each other, half mile. So off this bike path and then off rails would be. So basically, it sounds like if anybody in the Front Range, specifically Colorado Springs, but you know any kind of cycling related company that would want to get involved, you know, as far as like demos or doing that kind of thing, you'd be open to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so. there's another bike company that they have some demo bikes. Um, we've talked to boo, Alu boo out of uh, Fort Collins as well. And mm-hmm. after the bike show season kind of calms down, they're definitely interested in bringing some bikes down this fall yeah, cool. for one of these nights. Suobo wants to come back. Um, the hub is going to be getting another batch of 2015 demos probably in November. So we want to bring those down and show people because even though right now we only have a half mile mile of, of official trail down there, it's a great place to go and test stuff because there's sand, there's little fast sections, there's tight twisty sections, there's little whoops that you can kind of get an idea of how the bikes feel really quick. Right. So, so you know, it sounds like you have some kind of big plans for the future as far as this whole kind of network of urban trails. Um, and I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, go into the details cause I don't know how much you can, you know, talk about whatever, but where do you see it where you have like the, um, I guess the big enough core of riders, you know, the wide range where you have, you know, consistently a group of people that are kind of coming to that area for like the day. So 10 miles, you know, let's say there's 10 miles. They come for a morning on a Saturday morning for a couple hours because it's, you know, something different, maybe a cool, you know, trail. They can hit up breakfast on one end and park in the other kind of thing. Where do you see, like, I mean, are we talking like a year in the future, a couple of years in the future where, you know, the, the business at the top end of the trails are going to be like fighting for your time and attention, like from the other ones where what at what point does that hit kind of critical mass where it's like oh crap like this is a whole big you know thing right now in this little first phase section i mean it it would take two two um 
get to a point where Urban Seam would be packed, 503W, which is a little restaurant bar, Benny's, which is kind of like a Midwest bar, um, Boreello Brothers, which is a pizza place that also serves beer that has quite a bit of seating. Um, those are places just a little bit right off the existing trail near where all the single track would be when we're done with phase one. You know, to pack all those places in, um, say a Friday night, you're talking, you'd have to have 300 people down there. Okay. Okay. So, granted, these places have their own draw in their own way. So, to pack these places out, you know, probably could happen a little bit sooner anyway. But as far as having cyclists down there and, and utilizing it, that's a rough guess. Yeah. Knowing just kind of the capacity of each of those places. Um, and it's kind of a tough thing to say because right, right now there's just nobody approaching it this way in the country that I know of. And I've been in touch with a lot of people that are doing urban single track, but none of them are even considering like how do you start integrating with businesses. And some of them, you know, in all fairness, don't even have anything close enough by to consider it. Right. We're just really lucky that we're along a greenway trail that extends from Palmer Lake 20 miles outside of town to 20 miles south of Colorado Springs and about 10 miles of trail in town. So, <clears throat> you know, it's it's cutting through downtown. It's cutting through residential and commercial areas as is. So by default, we already have a lot of businesses that we can touch base with and just go, hey, and did you know there's a trail over here? Cool. Um, so in time... It'll be interesting because right now we're, we're going to uncharted territory. The industry doesn't do anything to court beginner cyclists. And, you know, in the world of eight to $10,000 bikes, you know, you look at what's under a thousand dollars, it's all really chunk. And it's not really telling somebody like, look, you've got $700. Here's a good bike and go ride the hell out of it. And, to me, that's where this is going to really come in handy because now we do have trails that beginners can't go and ride. You know, in, in all reality, a beginner can go out on a real, you know, a cheap single speed and be perfectly happy. I mean, when Swobo came down with their Mutineer, which is a, it's going to retail next year for seven ninety nine, just brakes, sixty D wheels, aluminum frame, lightweight, decent components. You know, for, we sent a lot of beginners out on it, and nobody asked about gears. So it's a whole new thing that, you know, for the 14 bike shops that exist in Colorado Springs, how is that going to affect their market? Um, who can they get into the, you know, into riding? You know, it, it's a great way now that, you know, for anybody who has an old 26-inch bike or an old hardtail, you know, you can set that thing up 1x9, 1x10, 1x8, single speed for friends sell it to them use cheap and now you have that whole use market opens up in a different way yeah and, and people, like you know they're not going to need suspension right exactly and and it brings out the people that like i interview later um that you'll hear later in the show um it gets those guys you know they can dust off that 20 year old literally 20 i think five year old uh, mountain bike that they really just haven't used. They had kids, they're running a business, do all this stuff, and they could dust it off and it's not going to fall apart, you know, going down a 3,000 foot descent. They can get out a few blocks from work, they can try it out, and you know what happens is a year later, they're like, you know what? I have a little bit more time than I did before. 
this bike is, I am way beyond this bike at this point. Hey, Hub Cyclery, you know, you've been involved with, you've been helping people out. What do you got for somebody that's in my situation? And there you go, you know. Well, you know, at the very least, too, is, you know, for a lot of these people, um, they're always going to be busy. There's some really busy, fantastic people that are showing up on old bikes. You know, will any of them really go out and buy a $2,000 bike? You know, I'd, I'd like to think so and hope so one day. But in all reality, you know, for most of these people, it's going to be like, oh, well, my grips are wearing out. Go get new grips. Yep. You know, tires are, are wearing thin. Where do I go for new tires? And it's not always going to be the big purchase, but it's all that little stuff that shops make better margin on anyway. And it's, you know, to me, the the biggest thing is getting people out riding and getting people to realize, okay, shit, I need to go to get a helmet. Or maybe I would like some gloves. Or maybe my tennis shoes aren't cutting it, and I want this nicer shoe to use with my flat pedals. Maybe I'm going to go put those pedals. And <clears throat> that opens up the whole nother world. And, um, you know, because right now the industry does a horrible job of catering to a beginner mountain biker. Yeah. And you really need to spend twelve, fifteen hundred dollars to get an okay bike that I, that I would send somebody out on. You know, everything under a thousand dollars has a you know a fork that's not worth a damn, disc brakes that's not worth a damn. You know, a bunch of junk parts. It's just kind of a bike to have around in the lineup for most bike companies, just to say, oh, here's our cheap bike. What like, you can get a suspension fork for, for. Right. and they know the consumer doesn't know any better. And the consumer rides it, it's junk, and then it stays, you know, ends up sitting in the garage and never ride again. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why the industry doesn't grow. And, you know, and I, I hope that down the road that bike companies will come to their senses and go, look, let's just get a nice rigid bike. It might sound crazy to everybody riding a, you know, 150 millimeter travel bike. But, you know, for a lot of people, getting people a mountain bike that can be a mountain bike the way it was for us 20 years ago where, you know, yeah, I rode a hardtail, no suspension, but I could, you know, ride rag pry on it. I could race races on it. I could do the local trails. I could do gravel road rides. I could go anywhere. And if the industry would, you know, look forward and, you know, do a nice rigid bike with a decent frame, reasonably lightweight, decent components, something that they can upgrade, down the road and don't, don't kind of throw in and lug it down with a you know, cheap suspension fork and cheap brakes. You know, get them decent brakes, get them okay, make it a one by 10 setup. You know, for most people, they're not going to use the big ring. You know, they might not use the small ring. And front derailleur is a big pain in the butt from a maintenance standpoint anyway. I mean, even those of us that know how to adjust them sometimes can swear at them pretty good. Mm hmm. But, you know, for somebody who just wants to go out and ride, it might just start off doing a crushed limestone bike path like the Santa Fe Trail that we have in Colorado Springs. But then, or lives off of a dirt road. You know, these guys aren't, you know, those people are off living off dirt roads and riding these limestone trails aren't going to go out and buy a gravel bike. Right, exactly. It still looks like a road bike. You know, it's not going to be where they're going to go with it. Yeah, so they can uh, kind of all those... Whatever you basically, you know, with the what you have going as far as a single track, basically you can come out and ride on anything you have, right? Look, see, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I've ridden my monster cross bike on it. Um, we got a lot of people riding cyclocross bikes on it just for a challenge. 
I've had friends that just because they want to say they did it, they've ridden their road bikes on and done multiple laps, not going as fast as on their mountain bike, but it's it's doable. They're usually walking through the sand or you know, a couple flats here and there. But cyclocross bikes, you know, these 20-year-old, 26-inch mountain bikes with 1.95 tires, people, you know, are having a ton of fun on. You know, really, if it just has a little bit of knob and the brakes work, you can pedal it. That's really all that matters for a lot of people. Yep. And we just get them out having fun. Yep, exactly. So if if people need to get a hold of you or where should they – how should they get a hold of you if they need to or want to or want to share what they've – you know, maybe they're interested in coming on yep. out. Maybe they want to contribute something. Maybe they want to help out. How, where do they go? Um, right now, we have our Facebook page. Like we said, it's Facebook backslash Urban Single Track Project. And they can message us directly through there, or they can follow what we're doing through that site. Okay. And then our website has a contact form, and that's the Urban Single Track Project.org. And yeah, if somebody's interested in knowing more, if uh, somebody from another city would like to come down and see what we did, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, you know, definitely consider talking to cities and towns about how to do it in their areas as well. Um, so yeah, cool. Those are all the options. All right, cool. Well, uh, John, thank you very much uh, for your time. And um, listeners, what you're going to hear is a mix of different people. Uh, like I said, that supported the project, that are continuing to support the project. Uh, some that have been out riding. Um, and if you and what I'll do is on the show page. So if you go to mountainbikeradio.com and on the home page, you'll see listen to current episodes. There'll be a link there, real easy. But you go to that show page, and I'll have them listed out in um, their individual recordings. And then I will also have show notes as far as if you're listening to the full episode that I just combined all the audio. Um, I'll have notes on there too as far as when each person starts speaking, you know, minute wise. So, um, so I'll have it all laid out. I'll have all the links, uh, website for the Urban Single Track Project, um, you know, Urban Steam, all the different things going on there. So be sure to check out the website, get all the links and information. And I think that does it, John. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. All right. Appreciate you coming down. Yep. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in to another episode on Mountain Bike Radio. All right. We're back from the Urban Single Track Project. I'm Ben Welnick. My next guest is Kelly Bubach, and I I butchered the name. Um, uh, But uh, he is the owner of Urban Steam Coffee. And like I said in the previous uh, recordings, you can go to urbansteamcoffee.com. For all the information, see the schedule, what, what's going on, what they serve, all the details. Um, and we will talk. I'll give Kelly perfect, uh, a perfect, a good opportunity to talk about Urban Steam, how it got, you know, how we got started with it, what's going on now, kind of what you can expect, the vibe, all the details. Um, but first, we're going to talk about uh, the Urban Single Track Project, how, like, what he sees from his perspective, you know, why he opens this place up for us, uh, you know, keeps it open late. Um, and kind of all the details. So, Kelly, mid-drink, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate your time, and thanks for joining me. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come in here and uh, check out what we have going on down here. Uh, John Severson and his Urban Single Track have just, you know, kind of taken off in the last couple of months. 
really, it's, it started out really slow, but it's getting a good positive response from the community. Uh, it, the entrance to the trail is yards from our shop. John spends a lot of his personal and business time in here and has a lot of conversations with us about uh, what he's doing here, there, everywhere else in town. He's very involved in social media, networking, bringing people together, biking or professional or community. Uh, he's just a very community oriented individual and, and we appreciate his presence here and what he brings in here and we thought it would be best for everybody if we could just be available for him to pr- provide what he provides and we do what we do which is a great atmosphere open doors uh, coffee waffles espresso whiskey a little bit of a bar scene just a nice vibe and a nice hangout a good launch point for cyclists for pedestrians um, for the night out People come here and just hang and chill, and then they go out and do their thing, or they stay here the night and pass out on the street. But that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen too often. But no, we have a few things going on here. Uh, but definitely the single track project. Um, it, this end of town is kind of a blight zone in a way, and it, it's there's a lot of gentrification going on. Uh, a big undercurrent of it. It's not really official, but things are happening here, and people are seeing the potential for this side of town. There's a lot of uh, money interest coming into this side of town and trying to create something and help it revitalize. And there's a lot of just uh, single-minded individuals like myself, like John, that come down here and just try to make it better, bring their their vibe, their energy, their ideas, bring community, bring people together and just make things kind of happen, you know? And and it's very organic. And nothing's There's nothing on paper. It's just very organic, non-contrived, and it just happens with great positive energy and with an outlook towards providing a space and a place this community, this end of town and revitalizing it, bringing it back in this town's been undergoing sprawl for decades and we've, we've lost our center and people are starting to realize we need a center we need a community, we need a base so people are starting to come back in to this set, this part of town because it is kind of the center of town and uh, moving in, uh, revitalizing businesses, buying older homes and redeveloping them uh, the same thing that happens in big cities, you know, and it's just more of a, a mindset, a mind shift. Uh, people just looking for, you know, what's missing in the, the the capitalist, consumerist mode. You don't. There's no community. There's no. Vinyl has more tire clearance. Everything out of a box. Food out of a box. Yes. Yeah. There's no soul. There's no. You know. We. So we try to bring that down here too. And my employees, my staff. We hire. People don't get hired here. They come here to enjoy their lives and and contribute to this end of town too. You know. They don't. It's not just a job for the people that work here. For myself, this is a great space, and we want to provide that energy, that vibe to people. And. The urban single track really is is a big piece of that too. It it's, it it just channels in perfectly. It's a piece of the puzzle, you know. Exactly. And so, are you from Colorado Springs? I've been here about twenty years. I came from the IT industry, mechanical engineer, uh, project management, IT consultant. Did a lot of traveling, uh, military brat. I grew up all over the world. Tasted food everywhere. Um, saw a lot of things. Met a lot of different cultures experience things that a lot of people don't see when they don't travel as a young person. And then my experiences as, as an adult, also traveling for my corporate job, reinforced those things and it gave it uh, that foundation, some structure. And uh, just discovered that I really like good things and I like to provide and 
and be a hospitable host for people and give them an experience and show them what I know and what I've learned and take their feedback and make what my experience is better. So it's not just what I'm about. It's about sharing things, getting feedback, tuning, um, and trying harder to make the experience better for everybody. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in apologies if you uh, hear a train horn in the background. So we're sitting here at Urban Steam, and there's two basically, it's like a garage doors that they open up when it's you know it's beautiful outside we're sitting here so you'll have to deal with a, a couple train horns um but uh, you know to that being here for 20 years um you've obviously seen this the change the sprawl and the the issues going on so what have you seen i mean how has it changed recently you know compared to you know just describe all the changes you've kind of seen over the 20 years honestly I was very jaded with Colorado Springs for a number of years. I worked with a few people here in 2000, 2001, and we managed and ran a little coffee bar um, with some live music and tried to change some things here in town and bring an element of um, just uniqueness, a different vibe to the city. The city in 2000, 2001 was really suffering from military, evangelical, not necessarily presence, but the, uh, I don't even know the, the good the good adjective for that, but just the way that those uh, forces kind of helped shape the city. They also stifled parts of the city. People didn't know how to fight back, so a few factions tried to fight back and just provide something, you know, something different, something new, bringing in good music, different culture, a little bit of a big city feel here and there, and uh, I got a, a taste for that then. Uh, the business shut down for various reasons, and uh, I went back to my corporate job for 10 years, but always missed that, and thought in my mind for 10 years, 11, 12 years, how do I recreate that again? And in the meantime, I had discovered a passion for coffee, espresso, roasting coffee, and started a little coffee roastery, online presence, and did that for a few years, and developed my palate and my my paradigm, as it were, for coffee roasting. I really wanted to discover what people liked about coffee. And got a lot of feedback and tuned my uh, parameters in roasting to make that happen and develop this nice little thing. And said, okay, it's time to open up a retail shop. Where do I go? Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Bay Area, Denver, Colorado Springs. Do I stay where I'm at and just make it happen? And I looked at these other places, and they were... It was a little, a little scary, a little full, a little oversaturated, but I, I gleaned some ideas from them about what was missing here. So it, it, it infused me to be able to bring those ideas and those concepts here. Great coffee, great ambiance, uh, local roasting, education, talking about things. Unfortunately, I had to have food to be able to make it all happen for uh, grease trap, for restaurant, for coffee, espresso, all these things forced a little bit of food. So, okay, well, I can do that. I can make a little bit of food. We can do these little gourmet waffles I've been working on. We can do these awesome paninis and salads that I've got in my little lunchbox that I've been making for years. That people love my food. We can do that. Everybody was blown away by everything over the last you know, year and a half. The quality of service, the quality of coffee, the fresh roasted coffee we sell retail, um, the, the breakfast, the brunch, the attention to detail, just all the little pieces that I care about really shone through, and not just the coffee. And the place has just kind of taken on a life of its own. 
and the response from the community and our customers and our clients, tourists, everyone is amazing and awesome, and it just inspires us all to do better. You know, we we get bad feedback, we get good feedback. We take them both to heart, and we try to do better. And, and listeners, if you if you aren't catching the the passion that's coming through in this uh, discussion from Kelly, uh, you're probably not listening very closely because he's uh, uh, clearly very passionate about giving back to. Uh, you the customer so if you're ever in the area definitely check it out you like i said before you can check it out urbansteamcoffee.com and i'll link it in the show notes too so if you have any questions you can you know map it from there or whatever if you have any comments you stop in you know good or bad send them his way and he'll uh like you said take it to heart and go from there so um with that you know giving back Talk about how you know how you feel about giving back to John with the Urban Single Track Project. What it means to you to see that you know all these people showing up, doing all this kind of stuff, even though they might not be buying something from you, they're just they're here and you're providing it for it. Talk about that. Well, the the big thing we live on here is just exposure. We are off the track. We don't market traditionally. We don't do real advertising. Uh, it's all social media, word of mouth. And just getting the word out. So people coming by for this, they've never been here before. They may have heard about us, but they come in, they see what's going on, they come back for breakfast, they come back for lunch, they come back for Whiskey Sour Wednesday. You know, uh, they, there's a lot of different things we do here that are a lot of fun. And uh, we, we try to keep the fun and everything, keep the quality up, the service up. And with, with this going on, it's just, again, it's exposure. Um, we love the crowd that comes in here. They fit our motif. They love adventure. They love travel. They love cool things. They're they're experienced people. They've been around. They know what's good. They know what's bad. Um, if if we suck, they're gonna tell us. <laughs> if we're if we're bullshit, they're gonna tell us. And we try really hard to just be real, do what we do well, and just enjoy that. And 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 John comes in here like I said earlier. He comes in here all the time on his own. Well, we have to wait on him hand and foot occasionally, but we throw coffee at him and donuts once in a while. But no. But uh, no, and we, honestly, we have a number of, of great customer partners that appreciate what we do, that bring their clients down, lawyers, architects, doctors, entrepreneurs, business people, networking people that come and they bring people here for the energy, for the the vibe and they they get something out of it i've talked to students that come down here and i say do you come down here to study no we come down here for the energy infusion to get ideas for creativity it's like awesome i love that and it's like great because that's what we are we are an energy source and part of the reason why this is here too there's something going on at the center of town and it, it attracted me and i i feel like i'm very aware of things like that and it, this place really spoke to me. I looked all over town for months for a space that worked for my concept and this place kept calling out and calling out and you can see the traffic outside. People come down here, they had no place, no idea this place existed, but they sense something down here. There's some community, some, like you said earlier, some soul that, that is happening here and I'm glad to be able to participate in that and help it. Well, cool. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to hit up? Uh, people can like I said, urbansteamcoffee.com, uh, Facebook. Uh, I will I'll link to all that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, be, for, be sure to check that out. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to mention? If you're heading this way for any reason at all, uh, consider us a waypoint. Stop in, hang out, chat. Let us know where you heard about us. 
um, ride around, ask what, what else there is to do in town. We'll gladly help you out. Cool. Yes. All right. Cool. Lately, our, our motto is espresso, waffles, whiskey, good times. Cool. Well, thank you, Kelly, very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Hey, this is Ben. I'm checking in from the Urban Single Track Project Night here at Urban Steam Coffee in Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you want more information about Urban Steam Coffee, check out urbansteamcoffee.com. So this is going to be likely the last interview of the night, um, but uh, you can head over to the show page and check out all the other interviews with all the other people involved with Urban Single Track. And meanwhile, I have John standing here, right here right now, and he's going to take off, so we'll catch up with him later. Pretty, uh, It's been a pretty busy night. So let's wrap it up. And I have with me Trevor Deerdorf. He is new to the new to the trails. Um, he is the the owner of Amnet, which is an IT consulting firm, right down the bike path from the trails. So we wanted to get him on. I'm gonna give him an opportunity to talk about Amnet, what he's got going on. And uh, but first, we want to get his take on the Urban Single Track Project. Um, you know, how he's seen it. He's known John for a while, how he's seen it kind of develop and what it's like. And he actually took his daughter out, 20-year-old daughter, for the first her first uh, mountain bike experience tonight. So we'll talk about that. And uh, that's about it. So, Trevor, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So let's, let's talk about it. You've known John for a long time. About uh, 10 years. Yeah. yeah. So talk about how, you know, he came to you and said, hey, Trevor, you got to check out the trails. So I've known John for about a decade through Colorado Springs Young Professionals, and um, oh, I think spring of 2014, he asked me if I had a bike, and I said, yeah, but it's a little dusty, I don't take it out very often, and he told me about the Urban Single Track Project, and encouraged me to come out and check it out, and after a little more encouraging, uh, I came out, and and it was a good time. So you're obviously you just dusted the bike off. You're not like some expert rider or anything like that. Um, but you had a, you had a bike that was made for it. So at some point you had to you know be able to do that. So what do you think as far as somebody else in your position? You know, come out with their you know kid like it's not going to scare them kind of thing. What talk about the kind of just the trail? You know, my my bike is. 20 years old plus and uh, it doesn't have any suspension on it uh, and it's you know I occasionally ride it on on trails between my office and my house but uh, yeah this uh, urban single track is is challenging it's interesting but it's I wouldn't say it's it's beyond my ability uh, there are certainly people who can do it faster than I can but it's uh, it's a good ride and it's a good time so, you know, as far as the, the atmosphere, you know, it's right down the bike path from your, from your office. Um, what does it do for the area? You know, have you noticed, you know, you're riding, riding to work or whatever down the bike path. What's the difference now with this here as opposed to, you know, like a couple years ago? Well, the southwest part of our downtown is certainly blighted. There's um, a lot of uh, homeless traffic and... Uh, you know, I think that having more people down here is, has diminished that substantially. And um, 
you know, several people have come out who are fans of the, the urban single track and helped clean it up and uh, keep it cleaned up. And I, I think that it's, it's bringing some vitality to a part of our downtown that was pretty much written off that people wouldn't go down there. All right. So I want to talk about your daughter. She came out tonight, first mountain bike ride uh, on these on these trails. How'd it go with that? You know, she's done some pretty uh, casual trail riding with me in, in the past, whether it was our Santa Fe Trail or, or the bike ride between Breckenridge and Frisco. But... Um, this is a little more technical. You know, you go, you go a lot slower. you got the turns. you got some bumps. And um, she found it to be stressful, which stressful is her word, but, she, you know, that, that means challenging. And um, I'm pretty sure she's going to come out with me and, and do it again. Well, that's perfect. So, all right, now is your commercial time. Talk about what's Amnet. How, how did you become owner when did that start just talk about what you have going on well in in 1998 i was uh working at best buy i was lead pc fun job i was lead pc tech at best buy and um you know in in that job that this was before geek squad really discovered there was an unserved niche in in on-site it support and um I started doing some of that on the side, and when I left Best Buy, Amnet became my full-time job. And uh, so now we've got 10 people, and we provide IT support for businesses that have between 20 and 200 employees. And uh, we're their IT department, their help desk, and and it's been great. I'm, I'm afraid that I've gotten to a point that I'm unemployable, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear what you're saying because after, you know, I... Haven't actually worked for somebody for uh, four years, and at this point, I can't imagine uh, anybody having to deal with me because I would be the one telling them what to do. But it is what it is. So, um, and actually, how do people get a hold of you? Because I know there's a lot of people out there listening that maybe not in Colorado Springs area, but they are small business owners. We have a pretty good, you know, pretty good listenership of entrepreneur, small business type of thing, and you're your wheelhouse it sounds like um how do they get a hold of you where do they go how do they get a hold of you to- we've we've had an office in denver for a couple of years actually and um we're serving the front range basically fort collins down to trinidad right now is where we've got clients um so our website is amnet a-m-n-e-t dot net and um our toll-free number is 800-343-9019 but um Yes, businesses with 20 to 200 employees, that's that's kind of our niche. We're a Microsoft shop. We specialize in, in Windows and Office, and if you're running that, then, then we're we're solid. Well, uh, is there anything else, Trevor, you wanted to you wanted to mention while we're on here? About the Urban Single Track Project, Urban Steam, business, anything? I'll tell you what, there's, there's a whole lot of, um, of energy going on in Colorado Springs right now. The Urban Shingle Track is part of it. We've got City for Champions going on. We're going to have a U.S. Olympic Museum. We're going to have a, a uh, new visitor center at the Air Force Academy. UCCS is getting in on it with the sports medicine facility. And um, there's going to be a, a sports and entertainment venue, downtown Colorado Springs, that is really taking some of this blighted area and revitalizing it. Colorado Springs is getting vibrant. Urban Single Track is a part of it, and um, and I'm excited. This is a great place to live, and it's getting better. Well, uh, I appreciate your time, and uh, thank you for joining me. 
And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. We are back from the Urban Steam Coffee House. You can check out more information at urbansteamcoffee.com. But uh, I'm out on location. This is Ben Womack. Out on location, Colorado Springs, which is about 30 miles south of Mountain Bike Radio headquarters. And I'm out tonight as part of the Urban Single Track Project, which is a basically a single track project that John Severson got going in an underutilized part of Colorado Springs with quick access to a bunch of businesses, uh, residences, and I'm out here tonight talking with several people that are involved, uh, support, and ride the trails. So in this recording, uh, Susan Edmondson, who is the president of the Downtown Partnership, and we'll talk about that in a second, what the Downtown Partnership is, uh, joins me to kind of talk about how they support the, the project. So Susan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate the time. I know you're busy. you got the USA Pro Cycling Challenge this week, and we were just talking beforehand. You have a lot of other projects going on, so thanks for the time. Um, all right, so first, before we get talking about how you support the Single Track Project, um, talk about what Downtown Partnership is, uh, what you support you know, in general, and then how you got involved with supporting uh, the Urban Single Track Project. Sure. Downtown Partnership is a nonprofit organization, and we work to ensure that downtown Colorado Springs serves as the economic, civic, and cultural heart of our city. And so that takes on a variety of things. It's everything from economic development, how we can attract business downtown, uh, marketing, uh, support of special events, uh, public art, everything to ensure that we have a really thriving, economically strong downtown, because we know a strong downtown is important to our entire city. Yeah, and so how long have you been president of this organization? How, how long have you been involved with the organization? Well, I've been involved as a volunteer on a board for many years, and then I became CEO about a year and a half ago, so still relatively new. And there's, it's been a really great time just in that time because there is so much going on with downtown Colorado Springs right now. This project is a great example of a lot of catalytic things going on for downtown right now. Yeah, I can I can imagine it being. You mentioned all those things. You have you've got to be a type of person who can deal with like ten million things at one time. It's it, it's a lot. Um, so you've been involved with the organization a long time. Can you tell people talk about how or what you've seen kind of change and kind of happen to Colorado Springs over the years? You know, I think Colorado Springs is a city that goes through various cycles, uh, probably like a lot of cities do. And I think we're really at another turning point, both for our downtown and for our city, in terms of really realizing how we can leverage the assets we already have. We have a lot going for us, and sometimes sometimes you forget what's in your own backyard. And I think Urban Single Track is one of those great examples of taking something that is right here in our community already and, and, and how can we maximize that? And, and that's one of the things I love about this project. And I think that's a lot of what's going on downtown in terms of how we look at the strengths of our downtown and really build on that to make a better sort of urban core for our city. Yeah, for sure. And so was this a case where you guys got wind of what was going on or did John come to you and say, hey, I need your support? And um, did, did he come to you and ask you for... Well, I've, I've known John for years. He's obviously very involved in the community, as I have been. I certainly know he's been a big biking advocate in many different ways. So I can't remember when he first approached me. It was sometime in the past year, just to fill me in on this. 
um, because it really, especially in the starting place for this project, is right here downtown. And so the idea that, that we, with Downtown Partnership, represent and serve literally thousands of downtown stakeholders and they're the folks who are going to want to know about this and want to get involved with this so to me it was just it was a natural fit to to do what we can to support them so whether it's sharing information on social media or you know right now it's so early in the project right now we're just helping to kind of connect people and inform them about it and i'm sure there'll probably be other things to come of ways that we can get involved too yeah, for sure. and you know i can just see from your you know being in your seat somebody coming to me and be like why has nobody ever done that before? You know, like we have this, we have social, you know, social tra- trails with, you know, uh, garbage, homeless people, like just underutilized um, areas. I would think like, holy man, why has nobody ever done that? So, Absolutely. It really, it takes creative minds, like you said, to to look at something and we could see it as a problem. Yes, it, you know, these, these areas have been areas where there's been vagrancy issues and homeless camps. And how do we say... This is actually something really unique and special for our community. And as someone whose who's role it is to serve downtown every day, you know, we have over 23,000 workforce downtown, people coming downtown every day in our office buildings and everything else. So to attract business and to make downtown even more appealing, something like this where you can tell someone, you know, literally right after work or on your lunch hour, you could take off that necktie, leave your office, and go do this just on your lunch hour, and then go back to work. And not a lot of city centers, not a lot of urban areas, hardly any, frankly, in the country could have these kind of opportunities. So that's what excites me is that Urban Single Track creates a sort of value proposition for downtown that most other cities would not be able to have. So do you see, in your discussions and ideas, do you see putting together more events like this? Um, surrounding that type of thing, or what do you, what do you have in your head as far as you know? Not to give me specifics, but you know, what do you see as far as groups? Maybe groups of kids, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's one thing that's appealing with this project is that I think it appeals to a wide age range and a, and a wide sort of skill set of riders. You know, we we have such as USA Pro Cycling that you mentioned earlier coming through the city this week, and that's great, and that's a really cool elite competition. But it really, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, at the end of the day, we want that habit, that day-to-day habit for folks, and and this kind of project can can reach people, very high-end bicyclists that are very skilled, as well as folks who are probably like me, a little bit less so, you know. But it's 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 something that's not intimidating. It's a very cool exploration of something right in the, your, the heart of the city that you never really would have known about before. So a lot of what we're doing with downtown is this idea of we could be nationally known in Colorado Springs as this vibrant urban core where the great outdoors are literally right there. And and even somewhere like Denver can't claim that. You still got to get in your car and go somewhere to get to the great outdoors. And so uh, we really are, are proud of that sort of unique asset. And and everything we're doing with downtown, we're looking at our waterways and how we better leverage our water that moves through our city um, and how the trails better connect to downtown so that people have those easy access points. And then when they're here, that they can do an experience like this really fun and easy. So you mentioned all those other ideas. Has this single track, urban single track project kicked off anything in your head um, you know, that you might have not thought before or other people's ideas that maybe like, you know, oh, we can't do that kind of thing. Has it, has it done that? You know, I, I think for me, and this is going to sound very selfish, but 
as I am working very hard, frankly, to attract new business downtown, this becomes, you know, like an employer or a new business, they're looking at a variety of things, some of them very much price-related, but they absolutely, yeah, absolutely more and more they're, they're looking at, and especially anyone even looking at a, an urban area or a downtown, it's usually because they know their employees want that kind of environment. You know, they want the, the cool coffee shops and the, the cool bars, just like where we are right now at Urban Steam. Those are the kinds of things businesses looking at an urban area want. And this is one of those attractions when you can say your employees can do this, they'll be like, oh my gosh, they'll love that. That's cool. We'll consider this location. So to me, it is somewhat selfish, too, that it just adds to the whole pot of amenities for downtown Colorado Springs. Now, I realize this project will and should extend beyond downtown. Right now, the nexus is, is right in this area of downtown. Uh, but absolutely, the easy access and connections all over the city, I think, are going to make this really viable. I, I think the way this is going and seeing John with maps out there um, on the table, uh, just across the, the Urban Steam area here, uh, it will be access to a lot of lot more people I would see in the next year or two. Um, but yeah. Alright, so if people want to get a hold of, maybe somebody's listening to this thinking about, you know, they're in the area or maybe it's one of those employers that's thinking about moving to office, whatever. How do they get a hold of you or where should they go to find out more information about the downtown partnership? Well, that's a great question. And again, it's downtown partnership. Our website is downtowncs.com and we have all sorts of information there, and you can contact us through that. And we also do things like, you know, we have a First Friday gallery opening, but, you know, many cities have those kinds of things, but we do our gallery openings where you can do a guided bike ride to go to all the, the First Friday gallery openings. So we really are promoting a lot of types of bike events that are maybe a little non-traditional. So whether you're a new business or just a biking enthusiast, uh, hopefully through our website you can find something you'll enjoy. Cool. Uh, I will and I will link all that in the show notes. So if you're uh, listening to this on the app, just uh, head over to uh, if you're on the iPhone, you go in the bottom right corner. There's a little e. Just touch on that, and you can go to all the links. So if you're listening to this, just touch that, and it'll keep listening. Otherwise, go over to mountainbikeradio.com, and the show page will be linked on there under the listen to recent episodes, and you will find all the information about all my guests from tonight. Uh, with a little logo and information about what their business or like in Susan's, uh, the downtown partnership. And you can listen to all the other episodes right there. So that does it. So thank you, Susan, very much for your time. Yeah, no problem. And uh, that'll do it. So everyone listening, thank you very much. And stay tuned for the next episode on Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack. And I am checking in from Urban Steam Coffee in Colorado Springs. Um, if you're listening to this, you have probably heard uh, several other people that I interviewed, some uh, people from throughout Colorado Springs, some business owners. Um, we'll get John on. He's kind of the guy that spearheaded this urban single track project, which is a exactly what it says. It's some single track that they basically took some underutilized park-ish areas um, and turned into some trails for all the users that are, you know, either work here, live here, right down the street, have some offices. Really cool. Right down the street from Urban Street, Urban Steam Coffee. And you can check out Urban Steam Coffee at urbansteamcoffee.com. So check it out. Great place. Um, they're actually staying open late for us tonight. Monday nights they do a casual ride, um, some demos. The Hub Cyclery out of Colorado Springs is doing the, the demos. Um, 
So yeah. So in case you didn't hear it on all the other recordings that I did tonight with the other people, um, that's the scoop. So um, in addition to the business owners and uh, John, uh, we're going to get some people on that uh, ride the trail and uh, see what they think. So the first one I have on tap here is Fixie Dave. So I'm sure many of you in the, in the mountain bike world have heard of, uh, have seen Fixie Dave or heard his name around. He's a pretty well-known guy for a lot of different reasons. Really nice guy, knows his stuff, has been around. Uh, rode the divide on a fixed gear bike um, after several attempts, which makes it even that more uh, impressive that he just kept trying and kept doing it. So I thought it'd be good to have him on and just chat and uh, talk about the trail and see what his thoughts are. So we're currently, I have a uh, Pikes Peak Brewing Company, Devil's Head Red Ale. Fixie's on a, a Hams. He also had a Devil's Head and what, what kind of whiskey... Uh, uh, I got a uh, Dickel Rye, uh, Tennessee Dickel Rye uh, in in my glass in addition to the hands. All right, cool. So, Fixie, let's uh, take a couple minutes and talk about uh, what your thoughts were, you know, about this urban single track project before you actually got out and wrote it. Um, well, uh, John kind of enlisted my help and... Well, before he enlisted my help, he kind of took me on an informal tour of this area along uh, um, all through downtown and uh, through southern downtown Colorado Springs of basically the, this area right next to the creek that was, in my mind, kind of ghetto and trashed out. And, and what was interesting to me was how fun some of these trails that were established by the homeless were. And it was odd and awkward as we were riding through, you know, this past February and March. But I, I, I saw the potential. And uh, when he finally got approval from the Parks Department and uh, we, we could actually build some trail and reroute some of this stuff, I was very excited. So I was stoked to, to be involved with actually getting, you know, a Lupa trail and that was officially, you know, approved and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's this great little, you know, three-quarter mile loop, you know, that's maybe 12 minutes away from where I work. So to go, you know, run down there at a lunch break and go do a couple of laps and grab a bite to eat quick bite to eat and then uh run back to borealis where i work um uh you know is a fantastic uh thing to have in the downtown colorado springs area so and talk about just take a minute talk about what it's how nice it is too to not just go straight up and down a hill i mean it's, it's nice to ride mountains but sometimes if you're on your lunch break to climb them you know climb up a mountain and come down you're all sweaty and all that stuff you can cruise down here, cruise around trails, what people would, you know, say in the Midwest would be used to kind of thing. Um, just talk about how nice it is to, to do that. Uh, it, a little change of pace instead of uh, flying straight up the hill. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, yeah, not every mountain bike ride needs to, to be this crazy, you know, three-hour climb, especially if you're used to the front range where, you know, you, you peel out and, 
you know, you end up climbing for two or three hours straight and then, you know, 45 minutes downhill. And uh, so, you know, it's a nice change of pace to just go cruise out, you know, for 10 minutes on pavement, hit some trail, you know, for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And then, you know, on your 10 minute ride back to work, you know, grab a quick bite to eat or, you know, coffee or whatnot and uh, cruise back into work at, you know, 1, one thirty, and, you know, be back you know slaving away or whatnot and just to have that midday reset is uh you know a fantastic option yeah for sure um do you how often do you come out to these monday nights so each monday night in case you listen to just one of the interviews from tonight um monday nights they do uh kind of a social night out of urban steam so you can come down uh sometimes they have demos out sometimes i don't know if they do demos every week but like tonight, we have some demos out. You can try some. Uh, there's fat bikes, 29 plus. I'm not sure what else John has out there, but um, or the uh, hub cycler has out there. But do you show up? It seems like you come out most Monday nights, right? You just kind of hang out. You know, I uh, I end up working you know in town most Monday nights. So yeah, I'm usually here on on Monday nights. You know, I I would say three out of four. You know, I'm I'm down here. So and if you want more information, if you're in the area, Front Range. Or you're just driving through and you might be vacationing and, uh, you know, you're wondering what the hell is going on down here. You can uh, always check out, uh, I think it's Urban Single Track Project on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash urban single track project or just search for it, you can keep up to date on what's going on right on Facebook because John keeps it pretty updated. Um, so, yeah. So the last thing I want to ask you, Fixie, is you recent, recently being, I don't know, maybe eight months ago when you started working at Borealis? Like last fall sometime, almost a year probably, huh? Um, give us a, a one-minute recap of uh, what it's like working at Borealis. For people wondering, like, hey, what would be cool? You know, they do this cool stuff. Like, just tell people what it's like. Um, you know, you know, kind of a fun, uh, you know, reset on my personal life has been uh, uh, since last February. I've been working at Borealis slash fat bike company um and i've moved into kind of the head uh quality control uh frame assembler um pack up the bikes and send them out to our dealers uh, position and uh it's been an interesting change from uh the retail pace and uh it's uh you know it's been a fantastic job and uh you know, it's been fun to see, you know, what what can happen in bicycle technology and how quickly it can actually happen if, uh, you know, the uh, desire's there. And uh, it's it's been a fun uh, adventure so far since February. And, um, yeah, I, it, 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 it's been a hoot to work at uh, both Borealis and work under... Uh, Steve Kazmarek and uh, Adam Miller and uh, uh, see all the fun, cool stuff that I've gotten to play with and uh, definitely uh, be checking out uh, different blogs and uh, um, internet sites uh, during Eurobike and Interbike because we've got a lot of fun stuff uh, coming down the pipes. Cool. And, you know, that brings up uh, another point. Actually, that wasn't the last thing we were going to talk about. Because we have the time. Uh, we're waiting for a couple other people I think I'm going to be interviewing. But I want to get your take. You recently took up fat bike, riding fat bikes. Um, 
I know, I remember you had a uh, Siren uh, Bicycles. If you check them out at sirenbicycles.com, I think is the website. But you had a, uh, a frame that you kind of molded into something you could fit some fatter tires in. But initially, you know, everyone, either they jump right in or they're skeptical with fat bikes. Um, I want to get your take on what you think has driven, what's the, what's the scoop behind fat bikes? Like, what do you think has driven all the, the interest? Why did you, why you like doing it? Um, just talk about that. I think people are pretty interested in, like, you know, the whole, it, the whole question of whether or not it's a fad is kind of over. Um, you know, my take is kind of separate, um, and I'll talk about that on future episodes. But um, what do you think? Um, you know, the fat, high-volume tires, I think, is uh, um, a really um, fascinating thing for me because I, uh, I kind of clutched together a, uh, a, a, a kind of what is almost considered skinny fat now of, uh, you know, a 65-millimeter rim and a 3.8 tire, and I even had to shave the knobs to make it work in the frame that I kind of beat and made work as uh, cold forged and beat on a sledgehammer and uh you know i i i still apologize to brendan at uh at uh, siren but uh, but i i i also uh, uh crashed that frame and 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 bent the the uh, seat stay so you got plenty of, you got plenty of uh, uh notice out of the pink frame so i i wouldn't if i were him i wouldn't be too, too uh, but yeah but uh, anyway, I, I after I even cold forged that frame, I got a good solid three years use out of that frame. And uh, but what uh, I was still down in Southwest Utah at the time, and I was blown away at the flotation that even a 65 millimeter rim and a 3.8 tire provided in the sand, sand dunes, the super loose. And I was exploring these washes, and I just was blown away at what it allowed me to to explore and enjoy that, you know, previously was just uh, open to hikers or ATVers or Jeepers with big-ass big tires. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. Then when I moved to Colorado Springs and started working for Borealis, um, you know, I... I literally was blown away the first time I rode a Yampa and was able to ride a 4.8 tire with a carbon frame and carbon wheels. And it was like, this rides like a bike, but it rides like a bike that I can literally go anywhere with. And so it just, it, it, it started my brain matriculating all these ideas of routes and things that I thought that might be, you know, previously unattainable with a regular 29er or a full suspension 26 or, you know, whatever other label you want to throw on a mountain bike. And, you know, yeah, it's probably not the fastest in a lot of applications, but there are certain terrains and events where you know what i unless you're riding fat i don't think you're riding so um so that's my take i i i really think the you know especially if you're of the explorer and uh um 
go adventure type. I, I, I really think fat is where it's at. And well, and the thing is too is that what I keep, you know, I keep saying and I keep thinking um, is that if nothing else, fat bikes have opened up people's minds to the idea that you know what, I don't need a 500 gram 29er tire because I race like maybe once every once in a while. You know, I like to just get out and ride and do different things. So it's opened up people's minds to, hey, you know what, it might be a better ride for my conditions if I have a, you know, there isn't out there yet, but like a 275 on a 27.5 rim kind of thing. Just all the possibilities. It's opened people's minds to saying, hey, you know what, if the tire's a 1,000 grams and it's wide and allows me to do this, big deal, right? So, I mean, I know I don't want you to talk about specifics, but just... What do you think, you know, as far as what people are going to see at, you know, Interbike, like a few weeks, a month or whatever, um, do you think, like, there's going to be a huge range for people to choose from in, diff- in both 27.5 and 29? And should be pe- should people be freaking out about 27.5, like, oh, it's the next marketing thing? Or is that, like, legit when it comes to a wider tire? Um, I, I, I really think uh, both the 27.5 plus, so... Basically anything over a 2.5. Um, same with 29 plus. So anything 29 by 2.5. I I really think depending on your height and uh, whether you're trying to go for suspension or not, um, that that definitely factors into it. But um, I think there's going to be some really cool stuff that you really need to be paying attention to, especially if you're of this mindset of. You're not a racer, but you like to go out for long rides and you want to explore and you want to see different stuff. And, you know, especially in, in regards to um, bike packing, I, I really think that the, the 27.5 plus might be the, the cat's meow of, you know, acceleration to... Um, you know it's you know it can be the 29 plus if you haven't ridden a 29 plus setup for if you're a little bit smaller and don't have quite the watts it can be a little bit more to push so that uh but yeah so um so i you know i i i i really think there there's going to be some cool stuff especially if you're of the mindset of not necessarily the racer type but of you know i you just want to go out on your bike and spend three days in a row and, you know, take a three-day weekend and uh, see some something different. And, uh, you know, whether it's two-track or single-track or super gnar or se- semi-mellow gravel, I, I really think that um, I, I think that this uh, format can really embrace all of those aspects very well. Yep, for sure. All right, cool. So uh, thank you, Fixie Dave. I appreciate the time, and uh, thank you for the beer you bought me the first the, the first time, and uh, that'll do it. So if you have any questions, you can head over to mountainbikeradio.com. Um, check out the urban or the urban single track page I'll be putting up. It'll have all the interviews, and I'll put all the links to the show notes on there. So if you go to the main page, the main homepage of Mountain Bike Radio, go to recent shows, and right there will be linked. Um, so that's the scoop, and uh, that'll do it. So on to the next uh, person interview. So thank you. Welcome back to Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and if you've been listening in 
to this episode, you'll notice that uh, I am out on location coming to you from Urban Steam Coffee. If you check out urbansteamcoffee.com, you'll find out more details. Um, It's in Colorado Springs, which is about 30 miles south of uh, Mountain Bike Radio headquarters. And uh, I'm here interviewing uh, several people who are involved with the Urban Single Track Project. And um, if you're listening to this on the app, head over to mountainbikeradio.com, and I will link it. Um, but head over to the show page. You can find out more information about my guests, uh, including uh, their businesses, uh, the Parks Department, uh, Fixie Dave is on, John, everything about the, the Urban Single Track Project and the people involved. So be sure to do that. Uh, if you have any questions uh, for uh, or about the Urban Single Track Project, feel free to shoot me an email and I'll pass along. You can do that at info at mountainbikeradio.com. And I think that's enough for an intro. So with me on this recording, I have David Dietemeyer. He is the park planner for the Colorado Springs Parks Department. And um, he is especially important because... You have to have a parks department to okay a uh, new urban single track project. So we'll talk about um, why they got involved, why they said yes, who can use the trails, um, maybe some of the concerns they had before saying okay, um, how it's going in, from their perspective, and uh, kind of get some details from, from his perspective. So David, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me tonight. Yeah, for sure. So before we do that, let's take a minute or two, just talk about, uh, tell people who you are um, as far as how you got involved in uh, being the park planner for Colorado Springs. Sure. Um, I'm a native to Colorado Springs, was born and raised here, um, had an opportunity to grow up on the trails and in the park system, so there's definitely a, a keenness to that in my heart. And so uh, when I had an opportunity a couple years ago um, to essentially interview for an opportunity to um, intern with the parks department i i took it and i've been working there for the last couple of years i have a background in environmental studies and watershed science um so it's a really good combination of working with kind of the the development side but in a natural setting um, and so to be able to to work with that that passion of you know, being involved in environmental and environmental aspects and working with our natural resources to sustainably plan for recreational use around those is a real special meaning to me. So I had a great opportunity to get involved. All right. So the Urban Single Track Project, have you guys, the Parks Department, worked with anybody that's that's done this kind of project before? You know, we have a lot of friends groups and uh, project partners, but really this is a unique aspect in with the Urban Single Track, Urban Single Track Project. And so uh, it's a new, exciting experience for us, and we're really happy to be a part of the, the relationship with them. So, and with that, when John first came to you and said, hey, I have this idea, you know, in my head, from your perspective, I'd be thinking, this guy's crazy, like, you know, there's not a whole lot, there's not a whole lot of urban areas, first of all, that have this kind of, you know, underutilized land that they turned into something useful for biker, you know, cyclists and runners and hikers and anybody that's in the area. Um, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but did you think he's crazy? And what were your concerns beginning to, to begin with? John was very enthusiastic about the project to begin with. So that was uh, really great to see the passion he had for it. You know, to think about a map in an area that is maybe just a couple acres and you have three or four miles of single track, 
your first thought is it looks like spaghetti on a plate, just spiraled throughout. But really when you work through the process, talk about his idea and the goal, the end goal that is to have this great opportunity in an urban setting, it really made sense. So we were able to balance that relationship with doing something that's sustainable but really provides that great recreational opportunity. So, you know, what were initially, what were some of the, the not downfalls, but the, the issues that you guys might have had, you know, that John had to address to begin with? Well, the focus is really in these riparian corridors. And so our first concern was really environmental impacts to that sensitive habitat. Um, but when we looked at what was there for existing conditions, you know, there unfortunately were a lot of homeless camps and a lot of these social trails. And so part of the goal of having this single track down there was to maximize the trail system but in a sustainable way. So we were able to actually take out social trails um, in our pilot project and really focus on one good long single track that was uh, proper and sustainable in that riparian corridor. Yeah, and, and with that too, I mean, he it seems like he does a lot of work days. So they initially, I remember back, I don't know, it was sometime this winter, they had a bunch of work days where they had bags full of garbage. So, I mean, from that perspective, were you guys kind of surprised at how much work that the that John and his crew and everyone brought in? Were you, was that uh, a pleasant surprise, or is that kind of what you expected? You know, to think back with how much passion John had for this project, we know in order for it to be successful, he was the right guy for it. And so to have him have those work days every month and to clean up that much trash and to focus on making a successful project... You know, it, it didn't surprise us because of how great a guy he is and how much passion he has for this project. Yep. So, in, and if you're just tuning in, uh, I'm with David Dietemeyer. He's the park planner for the Colorado Springs Park Department. Um, checking in from Urban Steam Coffee. So if you go to urbansteamcoffee.com, you can find out more information. Um, we are checking in from Urban Steam Coffee because on Monday nights, the Urban Single Track Project here in Colorado Springs does a social night ride um, and Urban Steam is right down the street. So after I get done recording, I'm going to go for a ride myself. Um, but anyhow, so um, back to the Parks Department uh, perspective. Um, okay, so you get this done, and you're at this point now where you see all these people out and enjoying it and seeing what is really involved. Um, you know, when you when other businesses, you know, they come to you or other people looking to do kind of projects... Um, is this something you can use as an example? And do you guide people and say, you know what, hey, you have a group, why don't you take them out to the single track, just check it out, you have a bunch of kids, you know, talk about that and talk about the kind of users that would use this area. Sure. Um, you know, thinking about the opportunity John's provided with the Urban Single Track Project, it is a fascinating trail that not only a experienced rider can ride, but a new mountain biker can get out on the trail and try single track for the first time there's challenging obstacles but also there's a safe route and so it's really geared towards that that uh, idea of it's suitable for anybody and any skill set and that's something as a parks employee is really kind of our goal to provide these recreational opportunities for for our citizens and for those recreational users depending on their skill set, I mean, we want to have something for them. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, from, from my perspective, I can, I can see a lot of times the Parks Department is always in the position of, like, telling, like, people get the feeling that, no, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. So I can imagine from your perspective, something like this would be, like, 
great. You know, like people are happy with us. Like this is our opportunity to like show that we're trying to help people. Um, can you just take a minute to talk about that? What it feels like from your personal perspective, seeing this whole thing come through, and how it feels like being able to be like, yeah, you know what? I, I actually, this is like why I do this job. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the governmental kind of, um, uh, projects and anything tied to it generally have a longer timeline. So it's great to be able to get something in the ground pretty quick and really see the results happen. I mean, this trail was constructed this spring, and we already have a huge turnout with folks who ride every week and even on their, their commute home every day. We hear stories of people just buzzing by and, you know, take, take maybe two minutes and do a couple laps and yeah. then come back through. Yeah, especially for, you know, busy people. Like we had uh, Jonathan Shanklin, the GM of uh, Famous Steakhouse, He's talking about how he dusted off his mountain bike. He's got, a, uh, I think, three kids, four kids. So for him, stop in. Um, you know, you don't have much time. Say you have half an hour, you drop off the freeway. It's right off the freeway. Um, spend, you know, half an hour, do a few laps, and you're done. So, um, yes. Uh, is there anything else? I don't think there's anything else. Um, if people have any questions or comments or they like the trail, is there, you know, can they contact you? Should they go to the Parks Department for more information about what else is going on in Colorado Springs? Tell people, you know, a little bit how to get a hold of you, where to go. Yeah, um, you're always welcome to contact springsgov.com. Um, search for Parks Department, and there's a great resource library in there for anything, trails, parks, or open spaces. Um, you know, We provide a, a wonderful recreational amenity, not only for our mountain bikers, but for our trail runners and our uh, soccer players and basketball baseball players. So there's a, a wide selection that the Springs has to offer. Um, and I do encourage you folks who are interested to definitely reach out to Urban Single Track Project. Um, there's a Facebook page, a website. You know, provide feedback. Let us know what you think of the trail system and let us know you want to hear more and want to see more because that's what we're here to do is to be that uh, link between your ideas and actually putting them in the ground. Yeah. And I will link all that information in the show notes too. So if you are listening on the app, um, uh, the iPhone app, you can go in the bottom right-hand corner. There's a little E, so while you're listening to this, touch that E. It'll take you to all the links, and you can just tap on any of the links while you're listening. Uh, Android, it is a little gift box currently. This will, The app will be updated uh, sometime in the next month or two, um, but there's a little gift box. You can touch that and go to any of the links. So if you want information, more information, you can go there or go to the page on Mountain Bike Radio, and you'll be all set. So... I think that'll do it, David. I appreciate your time, so thank you very much. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome back to Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and tonight's going to be something a little bit different. Um, You're used to in-studio recording different shows. Um, Tonight, I got out and um, headed down to Colorado Springs, which is about... 30 mile drive south of where I live and I am going to be interviewing a whole host of uh, different people who are involved with the Colorado Springs Urban Single Track Project and um, what you can do so in the app it's going to be all one episode and uh, what you can do if you want to find out more information and find out details of each one of the people that I'm interviewing you can go to mountainbikeradio.com and on the current episodes on the main page, um, just click on the Urban Single Track Project page. Uh, it'll be highlighted and linked right there, so you can um, click there, get all the details of all the people, and you can listen there too. So, with that said, um, 
The first person I'm going to be interviewing is Jonathan Shankland. He's the GM of a famous steakhouse. And we are going to take kind of the a family approach with Jonathan. He's a, a new, um, not really a serious mountain biker, but he, he dusted his mountain bike off and got his kids out, and he comes and enjoys the, the new urban single track here uh, in Colorado Springs. Um, so with that said, I want to welcome Jonathan. So, Jonathan, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Um, I'm really kind of excited about this. You know, most of my mountain biking experience is riding around the neighborhood and uh, trying to uh, ride slowly enough that the little kids can keep up with us. So it's pretty exciting to have a chance to come down and ride a real mountain bike trail. Um, I have uh, uh, boys who are uh, 13, 11, and 8, and a little girl who's 5. And so the boys, at any rate, are able to keep up on that trail. And it's really a lot of fun. So... You have a mountain bike, though. Oh, yeah. You had one in your garage. Oh, yeah. Um, at any point, like, did you used to ride more before you had kids, or how did you, why did you even get a mountain bike in the first place? Yeah, sure. No, I used to ride a, a lot more when I was a little bit younger. Uh, in fact, there were a number of years that I didn't own a, a vehicle at all, a motor vehicle at all. I, I rode back and forth to work at a coffee shop and restaurants. I'm a food and beverage guy for a long, long time, and that was just a great way to get around. I wasn't living too far from where I was working, and a little, lot, lot better shape back then, too, to be honest. But uh, So I, I've kind of always had a bicycle, and then I thought it was important for my kids that they learn how to ride and that they have you know healthy activities that they can participate in and so when uh, the urban single track project got up and running and my friend John Severson invited me to to bring the kids down and see what it was all about I thought hey what a great family activity and we'll see if they're up to the challenge and it turns out that even the even the eight-year-old my little eight-year-old Ben uh, was able to charge in there and took a digger at the beginning but he got right back up and did uh, about a half a dozen more laps so that that's definitely the important part about it um, so let's when what did you think when John first told you about this project that he had in his head? What, did you, what were your first thoughts? Uh, well, you know, John and I go back a couple of years. We met at the famous steakhouse. Uh, he was a regular guest, and uh, we did some work together with the Colorado Springs Young Professionals, hosted a couple events for them there at the restaurant. And so this is something that I'd heard him talk about for quite a while, from really its inception. And I wasn't really sure what he had in mind. I mean, bike trail is a bike trail is a bike trail. And, you know? and, yeah, and the thing is with that, too, is... He, you can't really, I mean, he can tell you and he can show you on a piece of paper, but it doesn't really mean anything to you right. until you see something. So That's true, yeah. And so it was really kind of, you know, it was evident to me what, what level of passion John had about it and how much effort he was putting into it. And so uh, I wanted to see it firsthand. I wanted to understand what was going on. One of the great things about the Urban Single Track Project is how it is uh, reclaiming some um, underutilized landscape uh, near downtown Colorado Springs. And downtown Colorado Springs right now is really undergoing a renaissance. There's a lot of really exciting things happening. And so to add this on top of all of that just really kind of, it, it, helps, it helps to bring more activities downtown than just dining, than just retail, just government offices. So there's more and more things to do downtown Colorado Springs, and, and I'm really glad to have this as an addition. Yeah. And, you know, being the GM of the famous steakhouse, I mean, you see your interest is in that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's fantastic. You get that, that kind of exposure and whatever. Um, so let's talk about the actual trail. So he finally got this done. You know, the trails, you know, first opened up. It's maybe a little bit rough. But did you go check it out before you took your kids out? T talk about when you first checked it out. Talk about your kids taking your kids out for the first time, what they thought. Just talk about that. Well, he was, uh, while John was actually uh, laying out the trail and sort of riding it in and trying to get it set up, he invited me down for a work day. So I came down by myself the first time, just me and my bike and a rake and a shovel. 
and spent about half a day uh, raking up the trail and uh, blocking off other sort of casual trails and things like that. Um, and it's just a beautiful setting. I mean, it's it's richly forested. There's there's you know lots of shade on hot days. There's even shelter when it's raining a little bit. The trail trail stays nice and dry, uh, which is perfect for the kids. You know, it's not too challenging. But at the same time, um, for me, even still kind of being you know a little bit out of shape, I found it fairly challenging. But I had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun, you know. And uh, so when I first got down here, it was it was just in the very beginning. And to see how far it's come and how far it's progressed and to see, you know, today, for instance, you know, there are going to be a dozen people going down there back and forth riding this trail. And it's just getting better and better and, and a lot more fun. So what do you, um, what would you say to anybody maybe new, maybe in your situation where they have a bike in their garage and they're like, man, I don't have time. The kids like want to do something, but I just don't know. What would you say to them? Well, I would say uh, come and discover it the way that I've discovered it. Come down here to uh, the Urban Steam Coffee Shop, um, grab yourself a cup of coffee, ride over to the trail, take it easy the first couple of times around. The kids are going to love it. They get out there. They have a great time. It's up and down. It's tight curves. I mean, it's really fun for them, and it's not real high speed if you don't want it to be. So it's still safe. I mean, yeah, you might fall off your bike, but you might fall off your bike riding out of your driveway too. So We might be in Colorado Springs, but keep in mind this is kind of just right in the city. And it's, imagine it being like a park, basically, with trees and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like you're going up and down a mountain. Um, and it's a good point that I didn't mention in the beginning of this uh, recording that we are at Urban Steam Coffee. With, and if you go to the website, it's urbansteamcoffee.com. Um, they're hosting us, and they host every Monday night. They have like a kind of a casual ride night. Um, some demos out. Uh, the Hub Cyclery down in Colorado Springs here has some bikes out here. Um, but anyhow, I'm a little new to this on-site recording thing, so I was, you know, I, I forget. I have my notes here and whatever, but I, sometimes I forget. So um, let's talk about just. I'm giving you a chance to plug your stuff here. So uh, talk about the famous steakhouse. Um, you know, if people are down at Colorado Springs, where to check it out. You know what you guys have, and just talk about it. Well, you know, it's a, it's a great little spot to stop by. Um, we have uh, happy hour specials on drinks every night of the week, um, so you can come by and have you know a nice casual beer. You can have a nice martini. You can come and do the whole thing and have a fancy steak dinner. You know, three courses and a bottle of wine. Um, you can come by for lunch. Come by in the middle of the afternoon, right after you get done writing, and uh, have our our famous uh, one pound famous burger, best burger in Colorado Springs. You know, you work up an appetite after being on the trail all day. Uh, but it's real close to downtown. That's one of the wonderful things, again, about this, that we're really kind of building up this nice little local scene here. So you can bring your bike downtown. You can go and ride the urban single track. You can bicycle back into the heart of downtown. Uh, the Famous is down there. There's lots of other cool restaurants. There's parks along the way, movie theaters, all kinds of activities. Cool. So if anybody has any questions, the uh, phone number, they can contact the, fam- the Famous thing. Yeah, my name's Jonathan. I'm the general manager. You can call me, ask for me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear that you heard about us on Mountain Bike Radio. Uh, it's 719-227-7333. You can check out our website, thefamoussteakhouse.net, and we're also on Facebook. Cool. Thank you. And I will link all those to the show in the show notes as well, so definitely go to mountainbikeradio.com. Check out the show there. In the whole page with all the different interviews, um, I will have that linked. So thank you very much, Jonathan, and I appreciate your time. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Hey, this is Ben, and I'm checking in from Urban Steam Coffee in Colorado Springs. You can check it out at urbansteamcoffee.com. 
as part, if you've been listening to these other recordings, um, you would know that I'm here as part of the Urban Single Track Project. Uh, Monday nights they do kind of a chill night where they get as many people out, check out the trail as they can. And uh, I've just been interviewing people that are involved and people have been supporting the project. Um, and with me, I have, this is this interview group will be uh, three guests. I have Hurl and Galen. Uh, they're with the uh, Heavy Pedal Tour, and I'll, I'll let them talk about exactly what that is. Um, Hurl just got, actually, both of them just got off of doing the Breck Epic, so I'll, uh, I want to get a couple of their thoughts on, on doing that as well. And the other guest I have with me is Cameron Chambers. He, if you don't know who Cameron Chambers is, he is the, oh, what was it, two years ago, 24-hour national champion? I won uh, five of them. You, yes. I'll let you... Th- I'll, I'll, I'll let... Five times 24. Do you yeah. know how many hours of national champion that is? And I will uh, let you talk... About, I, 140? I'm a 140-hour national yes, champion. Yes, yes. And I, I'm just referring to the last one. I'll let you talk about the others. And actually, I was going to give a shout-out because um, uh, my brother listens to this, and uh, 24-hour... Or 24 solo... For people that have ever seen the movie, Cameron Chambers is the guy that rides the Blue Ferris single speed, who he probably ate his words when he says, oh, I'm just as fast on a single speed as I am normally, and halfway through the movie he was walking, which rightfully so, like, hard course, long time ago, I just got to give a shit, basically. Um, And I can let you defend yourself because you're here. But anyhow, so if you've ever seen the movie, Cameron's a younger dude uh, riding that Blue Gary Fisher Ferris. so it's pretty cool, actually. I saw the movie. I, I've kind of known who you are, so they actually got you, get you on Mountain Bike Radio. I appreciate it. So, um, so we have uh, some stars. So anyhow, so before we get into uh, talking, giving you guys a chance to talk about what you've been up to, um, I want to talk about the Urban Single Track Project. And listeners, you can check it out at Facebook.com/slash Urban Single Track Project. Um, I'll have all the show notes, or I'll have it all linked in the show notes. Um, so let's take turns. Earl, you want to you want to go first and just talk about what you think about you yeah. just you just got done riding around. So what do you uh, think? We just, we just got a chance to ride it with Cam, and um, it's really cool to have that kind of a access for right in the city limits. I think you know it's, it's a real simple trail, but it, as we were talking out while we were riding it, the barrier for entry is sometimes too high for people, or maybe they're intimidated by some more technical trails. So it gives people a chance to ride real nice trails along the path. And then come back here and grab a beer or a whiskey or coffee. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and for people not familiar with the Front Range, you're listening to this from the East Coast or Midwest or South or wherever, um, basically the, the barrier to entry here is you have to be able to ride up a, a hill for 45 minutes and then descend it. Otherwise, it's it's very intimidating. Um, so to have the start of you know this, which looks like it's going to be end up being a lot more trail, like you said, it's it's a good a good chance. And Galen, did you get out and ride? I did. And uh, you know, the hub bike shop was kind enough to loan us a couple fat bikes, and that really you know brought the barriers to entry down because they're so they're so novel and, and fun to ride when you're out here in the urban single track. And it was really neat to kind of take a couple loops here with Cam and uh, just kind of laugh as we're riding along. Hurl almost tumbled over the front end of his bike, <laughs> getting caught on a couple routes. And and for that sort of experience, it's 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 super fun. And and I can't get stress enough how how much cycling brings joy to people and how I, I want all my friends, even if they don't ride, to get on a bike and, and have that share that experience. All right. 
So Cameron, you've been involved with this uh, pretty much, I, I'm guessing, since the beginning. You seem like you're pretty involved. Um, talk about what you've seen You know, from the first minute John asked you, hey, you want to help me out, and uh, what, how you've seen it happen and kind of the satisfaction you've seen. Because it seems like you're out here riding with groups kind of every week. Um, just talk about that. Yeah, so I mean, John definitely was the one that had the vision and has put in the the hard work of of making it happen and it's been a long time coming it's been a long project and getting all the access from the the city parks is you know he's really had to be vigilant it's been impressive and when he came to me and started talking about it you know i feel like comparatively to other people in colorado i kind of got it because i'm from the midwest I grew up riding along creeks and rivers and twisting through trees. And this like, is right up your alley. I know this yeah. stuff's fun, you know, and I've been hacking around and getting poison ivy for years. So, you know, this is this is my game here. And uh, so I wanted to be part of it right from the start. And, you know, when we got this is section one that uh, we call a banker's lunch loop. And when we got access to it, John and I started hiking in there a lot together and just kind of looking, you know, like, just like in the Midwest, we try to maximize everything we get because we don't have a whole Pike National Forest in the background. You know, you've got this little piece of land and you got to make it count. And uh, that's what we really wanted to do and, and bring out there. And it, it's still interesting riding. You know, you're you're turning your bike, you're leaning around trees, you're missing trees, and kind of slower speed stuff that is kind of a different skill set that that I don't think like everybody that grows up riding in the Rocky Mountains has. So. so and actually that brings up a good point. Do you use that as kind of like extra, you know, extra training, get your skills on that in that tight single track going? Or? You know, I definitely do. I mean, I just not that I don't like road riding, but I just living here and and whatnot i don't ride on the road a lot and there's not a lot of great road riding car to spring so you know for like you don't want as a as a racer you don't want every ride to be two thousand feet of climbing you know like you need to take it easy and you need to kind of keep it chill some so you know i definitely come down cruise on the bike path bust in there and do a few laps and that's the kind of thing that can get me out the door is when I know that I can have time to get in the trees and play around and not just ride up and down the bike path or in a bike lane or whatever you know it's those just even if they're not long just those little segments in the dirt that keep riding so fun yeah for sure so all right so I want to get your take on uh Hurl and Galen I want to get you guys to talk about the heavy pedal tour and then after that, we'll talk about your Breck Epic experience. So uh, who wants to tackle the heavy pedal tour? Uh, yeah, we've been on the road for four weeks with Bike Magazine's heavy pedal tour. Um, just trying to hit out-of-the-way trails and single track and a lot of endurance events in this iteration of the tour. Uh, we started in Butte, Montana with Evil Knievel Days, which was pretty cool. Uh, you can check out the video we posted on on that with the urban downhill race, including jumping over a live pit of rattlesnakes uh, on bikemag.com. I will link that in the show notes, too. So I, I might just have to email you, and you can send me all your links and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, spent a week in Montana riding some outstanding trails up there in the Helena region, or Helena area, rather, uh, with Bike Helena. Outstanding uh, trails and... Um, community support for the trails up there. Then we uh, headed over to Medora for the Matahe 100 in western North Dakota. 
a hundred mile single track between the north and south unit of the Teddy Roosevelt National Park. Did you guys, uh, you guys finish that? Yeah, Galen uh, finished top 10 in like 12.21 or something, and I uh, came in at 15 hours, 15 minutes, went to a very dark place that day, <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it's an outstanding trail. I recommend anyone that wants to ride some super fun single track that's unlike any other terrain you'll ride in the Badlands. And that actually, did you know that south of Medora, there's another like 45 miles of fairly new single track? So you could do it from top to bottom. Like There's a new section of single track south of Medora. Um, we did not actually get a chance to ride it this time, but um, I have roots in North Dakota, so I'm pretty on top of what's going on out there, and I'm really fond of that region. So it's well, good. I'm actually going to be moving up to Watford City. My wife is heading up a, an office. Uh, she works for a f- small firm up in, uh, in Denver, and sh- they're opening an office up in Watford City. Um, so I will know the, the Maida Hay very well very, very soon. Yeah. So that's why my interest, that's why I, I that's wanted true. to know. It's great. Yeah, you'll have a great time riding it. And there's so many, you know, yeah, we did the whole trail in one day, the race. But the cool thing about that trail is that you can ride just segments of it, there's a great guide service out of Medora, Dakota Cyclery Mountain Bike Adventures, um, where they'll shuttle your gear from camp, uh, campsite to campsite. So, yeah. I, I have a feeling I'll just be helping Nick mow the trail, like half the, you know, the beginning of the summer up until yeah. now. So. They spent, I was telling Cameron this when we were riding just this, this evening, that that trail crew spent an exorbitant amount of hours. I think he took off. He said like a like ten days of unpaid unpaid leave to cut the just the mow it because otherwise it's just a lot of it's small track you know with grass. It was it was probably the best condition that trail's ever been in from what I've been told. And that trail start. I mean that trail kind of started launched around ninety four ninety five I think. So it's a fairly new trail and it, and it doesn't get ridden very much. You know that's a pretty remote part of the country. A lot of people don't think of North Dakota for single track I will say this so before we get to the Breck Epic um, that we drove up there and I was thinking in my head like you know Badlands I've never been I've driven through there at night I'm like okay it'll be alright I can deal with it for a couple years and we drove up there I was like holy shit I had no idea it's like rolling green hills it's like a whole different yeah whole different and you come around, it's amazing if, especially if you're approaching it well either from the east or the west I've always generally have approached it from the east because I grew up in the middle of the state but you come around that one curve on the interstate and the painted canyon just unfolds in front of you and it's it's mind blowing it's a it's a really well kept secret is what it is but now with all the uh, oil boom and the fracking and the Bakken oil fields up there it's a little bit gnarly with all the people, but you'll... I, I will say with Watford City area, so that's the first reaction I get from people is like, holy man, but they've grown, you know, it's like 10, 12,000 people, or they anticipate 10, 12,000 people, there's like five now, right. and now they're at the point in time where they're trying to get the families in and stuff, like three years ago, it was like a pretty rough, now we're taught, we, you know, met the mayor and talked to all these different people, it's like, all right, they're bringing their families, so... I was fine with, you know, I was like, okay, this is all right. You know, we can handle it for a couple of years. So, okay, enough of that. Uh, and then after that, uh, Breck, was it the Breck Epic then? Yeah, after that, we, after Medora, we uh, slotted down. We, we recovered for a day in uh, the Medora area with the... Uh, Did you check out the uh, musical? We, not this time, but we, we, we partied with the Morlocks. Lauren and Jennifer Morlock that own the, the bike shop there are really uh, longtime friends of ours, but... Um, 
went down through Boulder and decided to give the Breck Epic a try. And Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, the Breck Epic wasn't necessarily something that we had anticipated starting the tour. We kind of had pretty loose guidelines as far as the events that we wanted to hit. We knew we wanted to do the Butte 100 and Evil Knievel Days so, and so, the Mata Hay 100. So, all right, so listeners, in case you don't know, the Butte 100 is arguably, well, besides Leadville, the Butte 100 is the hardest, uh, one of the hardest 100s out there. Um, I'm tongue in cheek, obviously. So Butte 100 and Made a Hay 100 is two of the hardest 100s there is. So, yeah, and I mean Leadville is, is it's a hard 100 gravel race. The Butte 100 um, is well known. Tinker Juarez has won it numerous times. He set a personal record. I mean the course record of eight hours and seven minutes. Um, I could be wrong about that, but an incredible time. Pearl and I we we rode the first 53 miles and it took us nine and a half hours, and we uh, we bailed after that. <laughs> So just to give you some proportion, I mean, almost 17,000 feet of elevation gain in the Butte 100. So it's an incredible endurance event. And um, not necessarily in the cross-country aspect, but there's some technical downhills, some really technical climbs. And by and large, the, the heat aspect was a, a, a significant struggle for us in completing that race. So I think next time we would probably give the Butte 50 a try. Um, there's a 250 rider limit with the Butte 100 and combined with the Butte 50. Um, for the Continental Divide Trail there that uh, the BLM manages. And so there's what they're doing there is they're only allowing 250 riders to ride the trail to preserve it and keep it intact. Um, so we managed to kind of slot in there. We didn't actually get to ride the Continental Divide portion because it took us so long to complete the first 50. But the second 50 is where the Butte 50 takes place. And, and from what we hear, it's, it's a spectacular ride with absolutely stunning vistas. And uh, we really hope to get back there and get a chance to ride that. So, all right. So, how did you make it through the Breck Epic? Was it uh, so going into it, you didn't plan on doing it? Is it what you expected? More than what you expected? What compared to what you went were thinking going into it? What? How did it go? I had I didn't know what to expect. I've never done a stage race of any sort, um, and I'm a bit of a geezer, man. I'm 46 years old, but Galen here is 22, so he was shredding it every day, but. I, uh, you know, I just rode into my abilities, and I, the thing that fascinated me for the whole week was that no matter where you started in the morning, you generally found yourself riding with the same people all day, and that was really cool. I met some wonderful folks from Canada and uh, Chile. There was a great contingent of people from Chile that were riding, and I rode with one guy almost every day, and it was just phenomenal. And as far as the physical uh, nature of it, hardest thing I've ever done. And to give you some perspective, the Breck Epic, it's a six-day stage race, and every day is between 35 and 50 miles of riding, and anywhere from 4,000 to 7,000 feet of vertical gain. So we're crossing at one stage alone, we crossed the Continental Divide twice, um, which was pretty incredible. And, you know, it's, it's strenuous. I think it helped that we had no idea of what we were getting into when we signed up for it. Uh, we knew that the culture was spectacular, that the people supporting the race were absolutely on their game. And Mike McCormick did a great job of putting the Breck Epic together. I think this was the sixth year that they were doing it. And absolutely encourage everybody to give it a shot. It was so much fun. But I can't believe that we climbed as much as we did. Um, we climbed over Everest, for perspective. Um, in the six days that we rode, we climbed 3,200 feet of elevation. And... I don't think I've ever climbed that much in my life, uh, let alone in a single week. I think... 32,000. Uh, sorry, yeah, 32,000 feet of elevation. Um, and I hope I can give you some idea of, like, 
every single one of those days would be a ride that you would you would set your sights on for an entire month just to accomplish. Well, yeah, one of the great things too is that the support and the aid stations were such that you know I rode the first day with a full Camelback, an Acre Supply, you know, Expedition Pack, basically. By the second day, I realized I didn't need to carry that extra weight because I had I had one bottle in my on my bike and maybe one in my jersey, but at every aid station they had bananas and water and oranges and scratch labs and goo energy drinks and it was such a phenomenal experience because if you were to go out and ride any one of those six stages on your own or with a you know a group of friends, you'd want to be prepared for anything and you're not gonna have an aid station out there. But it was just mind-boggling. And we saw everything from, you know, hardtail 29er single speeds up to full Santa Cruz nomads because the terrain that you're riding, is it's really aggressive. And that goes as much for the climbs as the descents because uh, we are doing high alpine riding up there. And I was happy to be riding 140 mil Trek Remedy and Hurl was on his Trek Fuel EX 29, um, maybe wishing that we had something lighter for it just to maybe keep up with the pack. But even as it was, I, I wouldn't have traded what I was riding for anything else because the descents were so spectacular. That's really where I come from riding. And what I enjoy most is, is riding downhill. And I can't wait to get back to some of the trails in Breckenridge just to shred them, you know, not on the clock and just being out there with my friends and, and taking in the sights and enjoying the ride. Yeah, Breckenridge, I, people ask me where I'd want to go. And, like, if I could spend, you know, just a month riding, I'd just go to Breckenridge and pitch a tent and just be good with that because it's, I mean, endless, endless amount of stuff. So. We had, like I said, six days to ride. But, you know, I, we probably barely scratched the surface in terms of what kind of trails are available to you out there. And I can't say enough good things about the race organization and their support of the riders and and the other riders themselves. You know, everybody was just, it was like a family for six days, you know, a commune, if you will. That's the best thing about stage racing is, you know, the first couple days you're getting in the rhythm, you get next to, you start riding with the same people and by the third day you wake up and you're like, the rest of the world doesn't matter. You kind of just get bikes for the next like three days and then when it's done, you're like, Oh shit! What do I? What am I gonna do? All right, all right, all right. After we, uh, let's see, the race finished on Friday, I think. That was Friday. And so we spent the following day at the Frisco Bike Park, just riding some dirt jump lines for a few hours, which was a great way to kind of recover and just decompress after six days of racing. And I wouldn't turn anybody away from from not wanting to ride the race first i really enjoyed how the course was marked because since we had never been to breckenridge before and didn't know the trails the course marking was spectacular so we knew, always knew where we were going along the route and uh, it really helped with the, the marshals that they had on course and the markings that they had that you could go out and ride 40 miles without knowing beforehand what exactly you were getting into and if it gives you any if, if you're concerned about doing it there is a three-day and there was a woman that finished with a that had a pacemaker this year, so yeah, that was. And actually, the camera. I think you had an interview with you. You interviewed that, that was, woman. Uh, a gal that I coach, and I spent the whole oh, week really? with her. Yeah. Oh, so that's why you were there. So we'll, yeah, yeah, well, we could touch on that because John was telling me about that, and it was like, holy shit, that's yeah, a big deal. Um, all right, so what do you guys have? What's the rest of the heavy pedal tour? What, do you, what are your plans? Uh, we're winding it down this week, and we are happy to be back in Colorado Springs. I actually lived here for a spell about 12 years ago, but tomorrow Cameron's going to take us out on the death ride, about a four-and-a-half-hour um, ride up into the 
Pikes Cro- Peak Forest. Crossing, crossing my fingers, it's not going to be race pace. <laughs> well, you know, he is a five-time national champion in the 24-hour discipline, as he just informed us. But uh, <laughs> more than anything, I just want to go to the uh, King Chef Diner and get some of that green chili. We're going to go really hungry. Yeah. Uh, All right, Cameron, before we get into we'll give you a chance to talk now. Um, now I've been giving you a hard time on stuff. Um, but while we're on the Breck Epic topic, talk about, I forgot her name, Heidi maybe it was. Um, talk about Heidi and, uh, you know, your culture and you were with her all week. Talk about, yeah. tell us the story. Yeah, so Heidi Dose is a uh, gal's name. And uh, Heidi and I have been working together, um, known each other for the past several years. And, and I've been coaching her the last six months or so. And um, she is, like you said, a 100% pacemaker dependent. So um, Boston Scientific is the company that uh, sponsors her, and that's the pacemaker that, that she uses. She's had like seven different pacemakers. She's 50 years old, and, um, and I think her first pacemaker went in when she was 17, 18, something like that. So uh, incredible story, like amazing ups and downs and even just within the last few years you know some huge ups and downs and uh we were we started planning on doing this and i'd raced breck epic like three years ago and knew how hard it was so you know when she told me she wanted to do it you know of course like like i believe she could she's done trans andes you know also a super hard race and uh and so we got up, we met each other earlier in the summer and rode some up there and, you know, kind of quickly came to the realization like, yeah, you can do it. And yeah, the fitness and strength is there, but like, I probably am going to like want to keep an eye on you. Cause you know, I mean, there's all of us, I mean, Hurl could have had problems out there and like been in trouble and there were people that were, but you know, you have a whole nother set of issues you're dealing with when there's batteries beaten in your chest that are keeping you alive. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to keep an eye on her and was running around to aid stations and uh, and ended up just having an amazing week. And everything about the Heidi is super inspiring. But, but to be able to, like, witness firsthand what she pushes through and when she'd be like, all right, you know, got to slow down, things are going dark, I'm starting to black out, I'd be like black out you know what like this is not acceptable like slow down and for her it's like gonna black out here in a bit let's let's kick it back a notch so uh, it was incredible and the other cool thing is she just descends like a rock star so like we crush descents all week and uh and for me that keeps it super fun you know i don't I don't care what pace we go uphill if, oh, if right. we get a like light it up on some descents and so I got a bunch of good video of her and she was ripping it up and we had we had a really good time together. Cool. That's inspiring as hell. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. So all right, so I've been kind of giving you a hard time. Just talk about um, I don't know. Let's talk about yourself. I'll give you. I'm gonna make it. I don't know how uh, you know comfortable sure. you are talking about yourself, sure. but um, you know. Let's take two minutes talk about how you got into mountain biking to begin yeah. with. Because where are you from? You're from the Midwest? I'm from Kansas, yeah. From Kansas, okay. Yeah. So Kansas isn't well known for like a mountain biking no, uh, we're mecca. Not. No. So how you got into mountain biking? Um, what brought you out here in the springs? Kansas? Steve Tilford is. Yeah, yeah. Steve Tilford's from Kansas. Yeah. So one of my original representations right there, yeah. for sure. Alright, so let's talk about that. What brought you out here? You know, some of the things you've done. You mentioned five time national champion. Um, talk about a few of those. 
and uh, yeah, it'll go from there. Yeah, so, right on. Sure. So my dad opened a bike shop when I was in sixth grade. Um, shop he still has today out in the middle of central Kansas, Great Bend, Kansas, Golden Belt Bicycle Company. So, um, and I was already totally enamored with bikes. Like we had Creek in our backyard and, you know, just like the stuff down here, like I was running around in the woods and having fun and had a little 24 inch giant awesome that I just rode the wheels off of and had a blast on. So my dad opened the shop and started racing bikes and, you know, kind of kept on through it all, all through, uh, growing up. Um, when I was, uh, I can't remember like 20 ish, something like that. I, the, the 24 hour racing thing was, was really popping, you know, and like I was kind of right place at the right time and, and willing and to, to ride for 24 hours, you know? So, um, I yeah, went that up. Point in your time, at that age, you yeah, exactly, like, exactly. So I went up to Whistler, and they had this like at the time the Twenty Four Hours of Adrenaline series, and and I won the under twenty five world championship. You know, it's it's uh, like looking back on it, it's just kind of a funny deal. But yeah, but when when you're that age, that's cool. That's cool as hell. For yeah. sure. No, it was cool, and you know, like I said, it was kind of the right place at the right time because. Right after that, um, a good friend, another Midwest guy, or now a good friend, but Ryan Atkinson was the brand manager at Gary Fisher, and he called me up and stated if I wanted to ride for, for the Subaru Gary Fisher team. So I spent the next uh, three years uh, doing that, did just an ungodly number of 24-hour races. I, I, was, I should add it up someday, and I can't remember. I don't know how many I've done, but certainly over 20 of them. So I don't think over 30, but in between 20 and 30, 24 hour races. No, but I did seven in one year, which was which was pretty crazy. I think I did three with my max. Three 24 hour races, and I'll never do that again. No, no, it completely jacks you up. But uh, but it was fun, you know. And I didn't know any better, and I was getting paid, and and it was all good. So. Um, you know, and, and it's been a great, like, springboard for me into other things. You know, I've I've uh, managed some bike shops in Kansas City for a while and, and loved living there. Great mountain bike community. And um, I got a job working for CTS, a coaching company, um, out here in Colorado Springs, which bought, brought me out here. And now I just have my, my own little coaching operation and, and do my own thing. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's great. And Colorado Springs is... You know, kind of like what what Hurl was saying about Matahe, uh, like I kind of feel like Colorado Springs has got a little bit of the same thing. Like, you know, we're looking back here on mountains that, and we have like literally we're looking out the door of uh, Urban Steam at the mountains. Uh, Pikes Peak is right around the corner somewhere here. So. Yeah, and we have multiple, multiple five thousand foot descents back there. Like that is a lot. Like just to have one of those, but we have like multiple ways not just of linking up different 5,000 foot descents but just different and it like blows my mind the the riding that's out here and you know this this national forest is is just full chocked full of trails on and off the map stuff and it's just getting better all the time and the climate here is ridiculous like we have a 14,000 foot mountain in our background and we literally ride year round like like, I ride a fat bike. I love my Borealis, but like you could definitely ride year-round on any type of bike here and be Absolutely. just fine. Especially springs down here. It seems like you guys have like a little banana belt where it's like 
just north of here we get a bunch of snow and then you guys down here it's like eh, it's 60 and sunny and you're like shut up yeah for sure <laughs> we were I mean, just driving down here and i swear we were driving into california it was raining up in golden and we come down here it's sunny and warm. oh yeah it's always like that once you get you get about 20 miles up the road and that's where it all snows and then it stops down here so yeah i'm yeah. not talking about that i'm from minneapolis well i'm from <laughs> yeah i'm from wisconsin so we're, i'm used to that but, right um but and actually, so I want to I want to skip back because I know a couple of my buddies with the whole movie thing. I'm sure I'm sure they'll get a kick out of this. But I want to get your take on what it's like looking back at that too. You mentioned looking back at sure. you know it's kind of funny and stuff. But you know, do you what, talk about it once? Just talk about what no, the that was is like, and then what you look at. Think back and you look at yourself. You're like, no, just the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The movie and racing for three years for the Subaru Gary Fisher team. I mean, like, I know I'm a decent rider and you know a fine racer, but frankly, like, I'm not at the level of kind of the support that I got there for a few years. Because, but I was willing to stay up all night and ride. You know, where a lot of people weren't, and that was kind of my stick. And uh, and because of that, it. it opened up some some cool opportunities and that movie you know is something that's really fun because it, it does kind of live in infamy a bit and uh and you know i had some good lines in there and made a fool of myself and no it's it's fine i i can see that's why i brought up that line because i'll never because i've seen i've i raced several i think i did six or seven 24 so it was at the same time like you know getting into it you see this movie you're like oh cool i'll check it out and then you watch it over and over like you know yeah. So I could see, you know, putting myself in your position, being on a movie. It's like, holy shit, I said that? Or like, you know, yeah, I like... Yeah. No, I'm sure yeah, I believed it 100% oh, yeah, at the time. Exactly, you know? like, and I, shit happens. I could have right? raged on a single speed in my own mind for 24 hours. Uh, that course at Conyers that year was gnarly. Like, I had... I did not know what I was getting into. And that thing ate me alive. I was, I was part of putting yourself the, out there. Was, Gary Fisher had just released the Ferris at that time, and you know they don't sponsor me now, so I can talk crap about it. But that bike it was like a thousand. Po- it was like a thousand it was pounds. Super too. heavy and like ridiculously flexy. The every corner I went around, it would rub on the chain stays and just like like bring well, you I, to a stop. I, I own that. That was my first mountain bike. Yeah. It was that bike. Yeah. So it was no, like that bike. yeah. It would, and it was actually it was broken. Not that like, I have any excuse. I like. Oh, who Rich uh, Rich Dillon is out there somewhere. He just oh, whooped he my ass yeah, that yeah. race. And, uh, he, was, he was, by the way, Rich Dillon. If you're out there, you were drunk at stage seven at Brackenridge. <laughs> so uh, no, he he killed it on a single speed that race and totally totally crushed it. But uh, but that bike was a total pile. So <laughs> it's hilarious. I, it was broken and rubbing like horribly on the on the tire, and I just had a miserable time and. Like dropped out at some point. Right. Yeah, it you know what? Like I, I, said, I, I no no regrets for yeah, sure. Yeah, I just had you sitting here, so I, I kind of wanted to ask too. But and, and by the way, listeners, if if you're unfamiliar with Cameron, he says he's an okay racer or whatever. He's full of shit because he's he's one of the fast guys around. So um, so I'm sure if you check in the results a little bit more, you'll see his name out there because he he does a lot of stuff. So um, but yeah. So is there anything else you guys want to want to mention? We'd be going for a half an hour here. Holy man! Um, but just a reminder, people, we're here, Urban Single Track Project out in Colorado Springs at Urban Steam Coffee. Uh, if you have any questions, you can feel free to email me at info at mountainbikeradio.com. Or how about you guys? You want to? Uh, how can they get a hold of you for the heavy pedal tour? If they're uh, just keep an eye on uh, bikemag.com. We're posting new videos. 
probably once a week. We got maybe three more to come up. We'll have the uh, the Helena and the Matahe, as well as the Breck Epic stories coming soon. And also, I'd like to say uh, congratulations to John Severson and to Cameron. This is a pretty cool project they got going here in the springs yeah cool and, and thanks thank you guys for stopping in tonight. i mean on your on the heavy pedal tour and uh is there anything else if people you know coaching anything you want to oh sure yeah shoot? i mean my website podium performance at squarespace.com if anybody wants to all my contact information's on there okay. love talking bikes you know I, I also uh work some for um rotor usa um distributor here in town that uh carries eight different lines of products so always talking about bikes and bike parts and single speeds and you know any any questions i love hearing from people and the funky setups they're trying and giving people advice about you know what's going to work on what so always like to hear from folks all right well thank you guys and i really appreciate your time and thank you everyone else for listening in to another episode of mountain bike radio